I have I have a couple questions. Okay. One one concerns Hopefully I think I a couple the, of answers. The po- well, you'll have an answer, even if that's <laughs> I don't fucking know. Um one concerns the podcast and one doesn't. I mean necessarily. So let me get to that one first. Sure. When do you put up your Christmas tree? Uh usually after Thanksgiving. Okay. Um because it's there's too much shit going on in the house to do it during Thanksgiving. Also but- also that's November. Right, right. It's still November, right? So, uh, yeah, usually in between uh, the end of Thanksgiving and, and before. And like the first week of December? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, okay. Which is like what normal people do, I right. think. Well, I'm, but I'm not sure. Maybe we're the non-normal people now. Because if you haven't seen, and look, this episode won't come out for a couple weeks, so this will be <laughs> moot, but I need to get it off my chest. I Why am I fucking surrounded by Christmas decorations, and it is, at time of recording, November 16th? Because No, I look, I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> Stop your personal vendetta against Christmas. Broccoli. The holidays. <laughs> the, the happiest of seasons. Um, I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I mean. I, look, there's so much to be angry about in this world. Is I know. So, I know. I, so that's why I thought we would dedicate this. our time to what's going on in the Middle East. <laughs> right. Let's figure this shit out. Like somebody needs to. And if it's um, not us, who? And if I mean, not, really. Win and- two, two white guys with microphones. <laughs> And a fucking finally, platform. Finally. <laughs> finally. No one asked us, but we're <laughs> goddamn it, we're gonna do it. Okay. All right. An actual question about this about this podcast and about the films today. Well, let me just say this first. So today we're going to be looking at uh the new film by David Fincher, The Killer, and we're gonna start our series on Hal Hartley by looking at the unbelievable truth and trust. Um the first two films and a kind of loose trilogy that he didn't really agree was a trilogy until later on. And it was kind right, of like retconned right. at that point. So, um, but, but it feels like there's a lot of things in that vein for him. Like, yeah, whatever you guys want to call it. That? Yeah, cool, no yeah, sure. But that seems like him just in general. Right, right. Right. But here's a question I have that'll lead us into, I think further discussion and also kind of builds on something we talked about last time. Why, why do we insist on calling things masterpieces or perfection or, Stone Cold Genius. Why do we need to crown mediocrity from those who have done better work in the past? Um, yeah, I, 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 to, to answer the question, I, I don't know. Hyperbole seems like it, it means, I guess, you know, not to quote the Incredibles, but if everyone's special, then no one is. Like throwing around terms, throwing around everything. I, I totally agree on grading on a bell curve here. Right. right. And also, and I do agree with, you know, judging a film on its own merits, um, you know, in its of itself. And I'll, I'll pick that up before we leave. <laughs> Just throwing, <laughs> throwing should, trash on the I shouldn't floor. be able to play with things. You know, the um, nice people in this blank establishment, let us use this room. And- but, 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 even the films that, you know, in the last podcast, which we liked, uh, were still called a masterpiece. And again, that seems hyperbolic. Like, I don't, one, in a moment, I think it's very difficult to tell what is a masterpiece and what is not. So again, that terminology, um, you can judge something five out of five or whatever, who cares? Right. But judging if it's a masterpiece, like, a, you know, something that's going to stand the test of time, like, you know, even going, just putting uh, anatomy of, of a fall as the example. Yeah. We won't know that. Right. I mean, right. it doesn't really seem like that. That just seems like, Oh, I mean, it's okay to be excited about a film, but let's temper exactly. Exactly. No, no. Right. 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 It is perfectly 
Yes, you should be excited about films. You should say, I like this, and here's why I like this. What I read, perfection, stone cold genius, masterpiece. <laughs> these are in quotes and in print. I mean, this right. isn't just me like hearing people on the street, right? Or like other Fincher or these Fincher bros on like Twitter or right. whatever it's called now. Um, <laughs> threads. <laughs> you know, talking about this. But I mean, these are like, this is stuff that's been in, in print and I don't, I don't get it. Now, I also think that like part of our jobs on this podcast, and I mean this, <laughs> is to be in a way iconoclastic at times, right? Is to say, you know what? No, I'm going to fucking melt down your golden calf right now, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to call out bullshit when I see it. And I, and I do mean that with sincerity. I do want to sort of take on that kind of iconoclast mantle, um, and I think especially with this, like, new Fincher film, I, I don't fucking get it. <laughs> I find music a useful distraction. A focused tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. start at the price tag and then we'll go from there yeah um 175 million i don't see it i don't I, literally I, literally yeah, there right. were things you didn't see i i, I right. <laughs> the the i'm gonna shoot the fight scene in the dark which okay well but back to my point of 175 million dollars and to the point of Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon costing like 200 million, yeah. right? There's got to be money laundering going on here. <laughs> I, otherwise, I don't know how you explain it. Or Netflix and Apple essentially gives everyone a bonus for every movie that they make. And it's 50 bucks and that just adds up over time. So we're all, you know, every Netflix employee is getting a stipend of a grand and they're listed as, um, you know, assistant producers, <laughs> right? Assistant producers. What was the, what was the line from uh, <laughs> State of Maine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you an, an assistant producer credit. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, because there's no, it is inexplicable unless you 
like bought a separate plane for every time that Fassbender changed locations, I still don't see 170. We didn't see $200 million on the screen for Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, granted, <clears throat> that's a three and a half uh, hour movie. Uh, and $30 million of it was for Leo. Sure, so. right. Um, but, but still. Th there's not $175 million on the screen. And it's... Like, so I don't, I don't get that. And I don't even know why you would tout that or let that leak or tell anybody that this is how much it costs. You're so secretive about how many people watch it and yeah, how it yeah. does X in, in, in different venues. But here's our budget. But here's our, here's how much we spent. And it just speaks to how much money that Netflix actually has and like how much money they can throw around. And here's the problem. And we've talked about this before, but you Netflix does not give a shit. Apple does not give a shit. Amazon does not give a shit if any of this is good. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. This is enough to keep you here for a month or to keep you here for a few weeks and then give you a reason to resubscribe. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's basically it. And so I don't necessarily believe in this tenet of like, where you have to struggle or every piece of art necessarily has to be a struggle. But I do think there needs to be some stake involved in this. And again, I don't necessarily think that the, the defining factor of good art is box office dollars. No. But if there's no, if, if you're just given a big Scrooge McDuck pile of cash and you can go off and make whatever movie you want to make, you're making Adam Sandler films. Right. You're making films where I can bring my friends around and look, there will be people that love those films, but it, it wouldn't love people. There are people that will watch those films and, and, and giggle. And then that's really about, and then they'll forget about them. But it's, that's fine. If that's what Adam, Adam Sandler has no pretense of making art, right? He knows and is basically upfront with what he's doing. Yeah, and if you giggle sure. at his PP pee -pee jokes, all the better. And if you don't, Oh, well, there'll be another movie coming along and, and he'll do a prestige film to kind of, uh, you know, put you in your place for a second and then it'll go back to grown up 16, right? It doesn't yeah. really fucking matter to him for someone like Finch or Scorsese. I think the stakes are the exactly, I don't, I think it's exactly the same. I think they don't give a shit at this point. They have, they are finally given free reign end cut. You know, they don't have to come to a studio head and for notes. Cause it doesn't matter. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter how long it is. It doesn't matter how, how tight it is. It doesn't matter how good it is. It's just got to be. And for Netflix and Apple, they can hang their hats on. I got Fincher. I got Scorsese. And I've got them in my stable now. I can get them to make, you know, I can sign them up for $100 million to do five, you know, whatever. Or a billion dollars to do five films or ten films yeah. or whatever. And they're going to make content for me. And, yeah, we'll push it out to the theater for a month because that's what we've got to do to make sure it gets to be eligible for Oscar. But if it wins an Oscar, if it doesn't, who really gives a shit? And if it makes a dollar, if it makes two dollars at the at the box office, who really gives a shit? Yeah. And and that's and that's where we're at right now is that we have turned what were once preeminent directors of American filmmaking into people that just make fucking content. And the problem is, is that it's no better than like you again. There's 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 no stakes to it because they've already established themselves. So. They're going to be people that tune in to go in and see the next. But here's where you're going to turn into. Eventually, Fincher, Scorsese's on his way out. Mm -hmm. Scorsese's mm -hmm. 80. You give him a couple more movies, that's basically it for him. But Fincher turns into Nilla Butte. 
He turns into a guy you don't fucking give. Oh, oh, that's a Fincher film. <laughs> like we just did with Neil Lebune. Right. right oh shit. Was that something that David Fincher made? One of the guys who was most, the most visually impressive and like at least inventive filmmakers of the nineties and early two thousands. And now we're in like doing stuff with CGI and camera movement and things like regardless of your, your mileage may vary right on, on how much you actually give a shit about that. But at least he was trying to do things that were, that were interesting to look at here. Like, like from the jump, it's the, the, the fucking credits are the ugliest thing I've ever fucking seen, which is weird for a Fincher film because <laughs> the credits are really typically really interesting. Right. And, and right. I mean, not just visually interesting, but then also like kind of, contextually and stylistically as well. But yeah, this was just, I, I, there's nothing about this film that I understand. I don't understand the praise for it. Right. I don't understand why it exists. Like the, if you're comparing it to the samurai, then fuck off. Like, I mean, seriously, well, I compared it in a negative way. Right? I mean, I told you like, it so badly wants to be that, but it's not even, well, it doesn't understand what that film oh, is. Exactly. At all. Right. Right. <laughs> right. 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 That's and, what I mean. Like, Whoa. I mean, right. this movie is about a, bad hitman who has a bad hit yeah. and then they go and try to take care of, they basically try, try to, to kill him yeah. to, to kill him because he, he did a bad hit. And then he goes from place to place taking revenge, taking revenge. And it's so boring and rote. Well, we've seen this story well, how many times? Well, and, and again, I know it sounds weird for, especially for me to say this, but like in an age where we've got like Liam Neeson and, and Keanu sure, Reeves, sure. And like, these these types of kind of revenge flicks that at least you know when they jump into the zeitgeist whether you like them or not right i mean there's there's some there's at least a visual flair yeah um and it, to, for this to exist in the manner in which it does there's just no reason to to sit and waste your time with this movie no like, like even Tilda Swinton, who has probably the best, like, I will say this about the movie, because by the time it lulled me to sleep about halfway <laughs> through, then I didn't really give a shit. So I was yeah. like, I was less critical of it, but I was less critical of the, the, and I can't believe Andrew Kevin Walker wrote this, wrote the dialogue. This is, this is everybody that Fincher's worked. I mean, this right, is like right. the, the band right. is it's like together. Adam Sandler it's thing, everybody. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's again, we yeah. got 175 million. Let's, same, let's go fucking around. Same DP, same, yeah. Andrew right. Kevin Walker. And, and then, so we get dialogue. Like, I think Popeye said it best when he said, I am what I am. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, that's not, that's not tongue in cheek. That's, that's a straight read of that line. And then we get this dialogue that's, that's repeated. Like he's somewhat on the spectrum. that's repeated over and over right. again. Fassbender His completely sweet sleepwalks through this movie. Yeah, like yeah. he's completely. Why have Fassbender in this? I like Fassbender. I do too. But, but he's he's terrible in this. But this could have been anybody. This could have been anybody. And even if that is Fincher's point, so <laughs> I mean, but but because like right. it, I I I have been trying to figure out. Okay, like what's he trying <laughs> to say here? Is this like a meta commentary on his own sort of? process as a filmmaker and how like well actually i take more of a workman kind of kubrickian sort of approach to this work and this is how it is to be tedious and blah 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 it just doesn't i just feel like i'm well, like working myself into knots to try and not, make it make sense right this is not brisson right this is not right. this is not anything right. that's, that's heady or no. in, even interesting <laughs> i don't because well, that's never been fincher's forte anyway no. 
No. He is a music video director. Right. Like, and 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 look, I like his. I like Seven. I I, I like most of his I, films. I do too. Um, I do too. So I'm not. I'm not going to try to like sit here and, and tear him. Hell, I even like Panic Room. Like it's not. Yeah, like, I like Panic Room. Don't don't denigrate <laughs> Panic Room. <It's, laughs> I like Panic Room. Right? It's a young case. Still. I like the, the I like the game. I like. <laughs> right. Come on. <laughs> the game is fun. Uh, the game was. The game look, was too was look. The game presupposed that Succession show that's sure. on now, right? right? I, mean, I think the problem for me with the game is that there it ca- it came on the heels of Michael Douglas being in everything and being oh, in every yeah, like yeah. psychosexual thriller. Yeah, and, and he so just like, plays that same sleazy guy <laughs> right. every film. And so, like, to kind of and I don't know. It's weird. I don't dislike Michael Douglas. It was just like. By the time he had done Disclosure, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it's just, it, you're just like, okay, all right. We Did he it. peak at Romancing the Stone? Like, he, <laughs> I'm trying well, to that, think. That's like the apex Michael Douglas, like, role for me. It's it's, it's his most, like, Kurt Russell kind yes. of role, right? Yeah, had, yeah, 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 it's yeah, like yeah. He, It's his, uh, like, Big Trouble Little China. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know that was a i I love those movies um it's probably so i mean like after a while because afterwards then he goes into like black rain i was gonna say yeah black rain was after that right yeah yeah he goes into a weird kind of and then he hits again with basic i mean like he's always Mm -hmm, been on the on mm -hmm. the periphery of like producing i mean you know things like that he's had i mean he's been in the industry forever but like so i I, I don't know like the game was almost too clever by a point like the yeah, game yeah, the yeah, game sure. feeds into like the cleverness of fight club and i do think the headiness of fight club and what fincher was able to do with that story but i also think it's easy for a white man in the mid 90s or the late 90s to tell a fucking angry white man like and yeah. also kind of yeah. you know tell that story and also um you know punch straight across to it and just say yeah. fuck you this is all ridiculous you know this is all you know it's all nonsense what we're doing here kind right of thing right um yeah, this is not that though. I mean, like, I don't. What no. are the what were the chapter breaks? Like, why did well, like why, why did we have we even have those? Right. I mean, because I mean, here's the, like the bigger thing to me is like I know every beat in this film. Yeah. As soon as it turned into a revenge movie, you knew exactly what was going to happen. There's no real danger for this guy. You know, okay, he's going to come up against this guy. Oh, it's going to be tough, and this will be the one thing. No, it's not. I mean, like, it's it's, it's not. There's nothing like. <laughs> There's and there are like to the movie itself, there are no stakes within the movie Mm-mm. because Mm-mm. if he dies, he has some girlfriend that you meet for five minutes. What? But this guy would not have a girlfriend. No. The guy no. we first meet who's like, don't trust anyone, right. have He's no empathy, Buddhist blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. and then it's like, oh, but they hurt my girlfriend. You're like, what the fuck do you have a girl? And, and like, do, does this guy think that no one would notice his like giant mansion in the Dominican Republic? <laughs> <laughs> that's his hideaway i mean it's <laughs> it, it really is like it's I, I, fincher should have known better that but because like i said like when, when you're in a day and age of john wicks and nobody and taken where these just average joes are yeah. doing this it's all those are parodies of the movies that came before like you you were past the point where we can do a, a straight up Brisson, uh French New Wave hitman movie and play it straight. Right. And right. also maybe you could do it if you did it really well in this case. Like it's so dumbed down. Like it 
at no point in young Fincher's career would you ever have I am what I am. No. At, no. At, 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 you wouldn't, that would be something that like. No, because that's, we. That's a parody line. Yeah. That is a Leslie Nielsen line. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you heard it on <laughs> Police <gun>? Squad. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, oh, well, that's fucking funny. This, I mean, like I expect that should have been a laugh, right? But right. You, but this movie right. has none. Well, and it doesn't. And it doesn't it, intend to. And it's not playing for irony. That's the thing, right? right. So if if it right. were, then great. But it's not. But it's not playing for irony, like at and, all. And this doesn't even do the. I mean, Fincher doesn't shy away from shock. This doesn't even do that. No, I know. There's no. And there's not even like hyper violence in this. Where, I mean, it, the people that he kills are all pretty much straight up basic kills. I mean, so there's no like visceral like enjoyment there right. either. Right. The, and there's no tete a tete. Like the 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 only time you get that is with Tilda Swinton. Yes. And yes. then the Tilda Swinton, but she's so resolved to the 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 eventual outcome mm-hmm. of it all. It's you know that 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 deliciousness that you need where you have. So at this point, if you have Fassbender and you've got Swinton, then every you've got 175 million. Every fucking person he kills should be somebody. He should yeah. have been fighting the Rock. Right. He right. should have. You know. Right. He, the, the, he should have gone up against. Fucking Morgan Freeman in the yeah. first, like yeah. all these people. That should have been the lawyer, right? right? Yeah. All of these people, you could have got them in for five million and and made this movie yeah. at least. Holy shit! Can you believe the next yeah. scene is this yeah. guy? Yeah. And to see that kind of back and forth and see both people sort of chewing up the scene, right. we get a bunch of like, oh, it's that guy from that thing. I've seen him before. <laughs> right. You know, right. I mean, and. and you're expect, and again, I understand that some people are like, you know, talking about the the nuance of like he thinks he's this great hitman, but most likely he's not because he kind of fucks up at every single point, you know, during his revenge cycle. Like he gets himself in the bad fight situation. He, I mean, he kills the lawyer too early, you know, oh, and, and doesn't yeah. get the, the information from him. Um, it, you know, it's okay. all just like, but it's not, I mean, it, it, if that's meant to be also like <laughs> something, it's just not enough. Well, right, right. Also, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I stepped on a point. That's okay. That's uh, right. No, because my point is dumb, but like, can we get past the fucking trope of like, we can turn somebody's head real far and snap their necks. I know. Like, I know. like, but that's a, right. I understand it's a movie thing, but again, if, if we've got prestige directors, right. why, why, why are they, why are they falling into these like hammy? Just like B yeah. movie bullshit. Yeah. It is, I, I don't, and I, I, I'm, I kind of, on the last episode, I was like, if you like Kellers of the Flower Moon, fuck you. Like, <laughs> maybe that was gone too far. I don't understand. Like I said, I think people, I think people have been lulled to sleep. Yes. Yes. And I think, yes. I, I think that as an audience, we, and I don't know how to do this, but, but as an audience, I guess, like you said, it doesn't really matter to Netflix. We, we can't demand more from these movies. Right. The only thing you can do is stop watching them. Yeah. But when you have Netflix and it is your, like it is your cable at this point. Yeah, of course you're going to put it on. Yeah. Th- th- this, I mean, I said something to you off mic about like, have we sort of lost or forgotten how to be critical? Like when watching these films, especially when we're watching films by kind of established, like, you know, well-known names. And I want to go back to this idea you said about if you know, if, if we're all special, like nobody's special, but I think that, <laughs> This is going to sound cheesy and weird, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think we all are. It's okay that everyone is special, but that doesn't mean that everything's a fucking masterpiece, right? right? Not all art. I mean, look, bad art is still art. Okay, I'm going to say that. Bad art is still art. 
the the I mean, Fincher has nothing to prove to. He doesn't owe us anything. He, you know, it, it doesn't matter if we like this stuff. It matters if he likes it. But I, I have a hard time believing that he didn't just phone this in, right? Right. But um, where was I going with this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Bad artists still art, and it's it doesn't have to be the spectac- spectacular thing, but. There needs to be something there, some kind of passion there. And just, there just isn't in this. I'm so tired of people working themselves into these mental knots to make this a good film, right? What's the fucking point of this movie? And if it's about, like, as some people have said, oh, this is clearly a commentary on, like, neoliberalism and, like, late-stage capitalism. Okay, fine. Like, look, I get the WeWork stuff and the Airbnb stuff and the McDonald's oh, yeah, stuff I and, like, and Amazon that. and Starbucks. Okay, I get it, but what the fuck does he do with it? He doesn't do anything with it until the very end where he chooses not to kill the billionaire because he understands that billionaires can buy justice, right? Or right. can buy, like, whatever. Okay, that's maybe something but jesus there's nothing else there and even if like we take his disguises as like couriers and we look at this from a like oh why is he dressing up as like service industry people all the time is that how he sees himself in his work he's super rich so that doesn't hold water for me right (laughs) this hit me and it's like so are you is david fincher saying that we should pay custodial staff like more as much as ceos Okay, because that's interesting if you are, but you're not saying that. Right. You don't right. You don't mean that. And, and here's something else. I'm sorry. Uh, more people that are praising this or saying this is a good film, you know, are people that also look at things like from the French New Wave, like would look at Les Samurai and be like, well, that's boring, right? Or 400 Blows is boring. And I'm just like, do you not understand anything about... <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You don't, you don't understand. Like... And again, I know it sounds pretentious, but you don't understand film. Like, that's... It's fine. Right. And it's fine. It is fine. It is fine. <laughs> and I will defend your right to like McDonald's, to like Adam sure. Sandler movies. If sure. you like fucking Jack and Jill, own that shit. Like Jack and Jill. Right. But don't come at other shit because you don't <laughs> fucking understand it. And it's okay to say that that shit's boring, but also to say, I'm, it's just not for... I mean, like, also, it's just not for me. Right. Right, like the Adam Sandler stuff is not for me. Like, right? I'm not going to sit under my soapbox and tell you that Tyler Perry movies are all shit. I just, because I, they're not for me. They're <laughs> right, not written right. for me. And it's okay that they're not written for me. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. different fucking audience. And, and the Adam Sandler movies aren't written for me. But to, to compare the two, like, okay, so take this and compare it to something like Mary Harmon's American Psycho. This doesn't have that. No. Like, it doesn't. No. Like, and if it does... If that was Fincher's intent, it's so poorly executed and poorly realized. And if you're supposed, if we're, if you think that people are supposed to extract your message by simply showing him take over an abandoned WeWork building, then I mean, fuck you. You got to come. Right. You got to meet us a little bit further than right. that. Right. right. This is not like. Are we supposed to have write some sort of meditative essay on the on the work of Fincher, like how genius he is by doing these little subtle things? while wrapping it up in this bland piece of shit movie. Right, exactly. I was going to say, that's it, right? You don't have to, look, you can make a meta-commentary type film, but you can't, look, it's not that I'm able to say what you can and can't do, right? But using that kind of critical like lens of it, you're doing a disservice to the audience by putting this like bland movie out there, by putting, putting this like rehashed, retread, tired-ass trope on the screen and expecting me to go, oh, clearly this is A, right? When what you're showing me is 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 B, right? I okay, I see right. that. Right? I mean, this is like an exercise in fucking hermeneutics, right? Right. And if that's gonna, what you think, right? And we're gonna lead into two films that do that perfectly. <laughs> that 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 are 
it, wonderful encapsulations of that, right? Of, of turning <laughs> turning the head on a fucking trope like this yes. and making it something different yes. um, while showing you somewhat of a pedantic kind of existence. Yes, yes. <laughs> the oddness of ordinary life. Right, right. right. Yes. And, and <laughs> this, I, like I said, I think that where we've gotten is that Fincher has grabbed the brass ring yeah. and there's no, there's, this is, there's no recourse for him. There's no one reining in. Like I said, if you've got a $175 million budget, what that means to me is that you had no oversight on the budget whatsoever. You yeah. just said, I mean, you were just basically signing checks. Yeah. Oh, you guys want lobster every single day? I was going to say, there's no accounting being done here. Right, right. <laughs> no, net, no. Netflix, is, Netflix so, said run it up. So, so what did you use this camera for? <laughs> Personal use. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because you didn't use it here, right? No. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, no problem. Uh, well, and what sucks is right is that even the even the, and I, I I can't remember much of Mank to be quite honest, but like even the stuff that, that <laughs> yes, is <no>, exactly <laughs> is supposedly good gets lost in the shuffle, right? Mm-hmm. You, you you and I think this is I think this is an interesting point because I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> Fuck me. I I, <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think this is I think this is going to be interesting to look back on in, in historically speaking we look at the, look at these filmographies and the next you know when the why does the Wilhelm scream babies podcast gets that's right, made that's right that's yeah. right uh, the next generation <laughs> uh, so um when they look back at Fincher's filmography they look back at Scorsese's filmography are these these filmmakers that are like even Bombach, for example. Yeah. I mean, look, or and and then like to this point, and this is the reason that I think I'm so upset about someone like uh, what's her face doing um, uh, Sarah Ger- Polly, no, Polly or doing Bam- Bambi or Gerwig doing Chronicles of Narnia for for Netflix. What's what's the point? Yeah, again, right. they're gonna get two hundred million dollars. It doesn't matter if it's good or not. What's the point? Yeah. Like and so like if I'm going to look back on filmmakers, especially those filmmakers who only have a small win, you know, a small set of films as it stands today anyway, then they're going to go directly into these, you know, big IP, big budget bullshit films that that have no stakes. I don't know. I don't know if people are going to re- go back and remember that this is a Fincher film. Right. Oh shit, he did those two things for or these five things for Netflix at the last part of his career, and then and then again, then what's the point of him coming back and making anything smaller or personal or actually that means something to him. Because at this point, it seems like you can't tell me that, that this film meant anything to Fincher no. and that, you know, so, and again, not that everything has, to, I mean, I know people take jobs, but Fincher doesn't need he jobs. doesn't need, or, or this job. Right. Right. And so, having, you know, I mean, I do wonder like, will his next film be as meaningful to him as alien three? I don't know. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. At that point though, like, <laughs> Why not? And again, I don't know. I know they don't own the property, but if you're going to spend 175 million and you're just making content, why doesn't Netflix go to Paramount or Columbia or who the fuck ever owns Alien and say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to remake Alien Three, and we're going to yeah. let Fincher do it. We're going to let him do it with the way that he wanted to do it in the first place. Release the Finchy cut, right? <laughs> right. And 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 to that end, yeah. I mean, 175 million dollars would allow you to buy that film. 
And like you could split the profits, right? Because you don't because Netflix doesn't care care about the the in state no, of like, they no. just want to, like if you were to tell alien fans that you were redoing you were gonna to to Zack Snyder, the Justice League, this thing, spend a hundred million dollars, DH Sigourney Weaver, you know, shoot the scenes that he wanted to you know, reshoot or whatever. Yeah. People would line up for that. Oh yeah. People would yeah. subscribe to Netflix for that. Yeah. I'd get your $175 million back. But no. We're set with this. I mean, look, the best thing about this movie is the fucking poster. Yeah. That's basically it. You are not your xenomorph. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people will watch it and people will forget it. And, and this will be one of those, oh, shit, I forgot that Fincher did that thing. And no one will ever go back and watch this again because it is a fucking boring Oh, man, I tried movie. to watch it again. I tried to watch it before you know coming in here and, and doing this. And I'm like, you know what, let me, let me fire this back up. Let me take another look. Let me just make sure I couldn't get past that first, uh, like, five, ten minutes. I'm like, I just, oh, my God, I do not care. It's, again, talking about a movie that does not look good. No, and that's so weird to me. (laughs) Right? And here's the thing about uh, that that fight scene that you talk about, Finch, or um, Fassbender, as a hand-to-hand sort of combat with this big sort of, what do they call him, the brute or something right. in the film. And maybe he does, because you really can't see it. Well, it's that's the-, the thing, but it's, it's, it's not like those Nolan Batman fight scenes where everything's up close and a flurry. Right. It's like framed in a way where you it's can framed see like a wick scene. everything. Yeah. Right. And I'm yeah. like, why does this look like shit? <laughs> Watching it, I'm just like, this like, is it's weird to me. Why didn't you light it? Like, why right. have it in there if you're not going to light it? Right. I, I, it, you, you lit him giving the dogs tranquilizers i know yeah right which I mean, which also you know what i saw that move in, in fletch the, in the in fletch but also in nobody's fool with right. paul newman yeah I'm like okay like yeah and you, as soon as you saw a dog you knew what the fuck he was gonna do right so all of so it, dumb all of everything it. every fucking beat in this film you're just like oh dude, okay Oh my by the God. time this was Dude. by the time it was done, I was glad it was done, and I and I was just like, okay, cool. I don't ever have to turn this back on again. I'm so so sad. That <laughs> <laughs> eh, movie sucks oh, sometimes. What are you gonna do? Yeah, exactly. Can we talk real quick before yeah. we jump into? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jump into how double H over here. Um, <laughs> H squared. So. I finalized my, because I, I, I know the listeners at oh, home are, yes. are dying to hear yes, about this. Yes, our, our Veronica Mars Corner. <laughs> so I finished watching the movie. <laughs> and uh, 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 look, it was every bit a Kickstarter movie <laughs> that it possibly could have been. But I, here's the thing I will say that I, I, I am somewhat appreciative of watching season four. And then going back to the movie, okay, okay. because the movie clearly, obviously, it's set ten years after the you know the events of Veronica Mars. She's well, not ten years because she's going back to her high school, her ten year high school reunion. So yeah. there's some time passed. Veronica Mars college years, but it felt more like the Veronica Mars TV show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than than it did than season four did. So it it, it was very much a, a let's get all the kids back together, and then we're gonna make them do. You know, again, like Steve Gutenberg's daughter is oh, right, part of the right. part of the killer pl- clan. You got to keep Dick Casablanca so because because he's still a funny character, he's, and also he's yeah. a Rob Thomas friend. Right. Um, <laughs> so he doesn't. He's he's exempt from being uh, anything other than just being kind of a pretty blonde dummy. Uh, 
And then, you know, what's and it's none, there aren't that many, like all the cameos are people from the first three seasons mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. So and, but you get like fucking Jamie Lee Curtis. There's got to be a ton of marshmallows out there, man, that are right. like signing up for this shit. <laughs> right. Because like Jamie Lee Curtis is in a throwaway role. I mean, like, and, and there were other cameos, not that I'm not pulling them, but there were other people right. that were like um, big enough to, to come in and, and play these little. One thing that I have, a, if I have a nit to pick with, uh, um, Chris, I must say Kristen Stewart. Um, Kristen Bell, her inclusion of Dak Shepard oh, in yeah. a lot of her uh-huh. projects, and I don't uh-huh. know if it goes. I think maybe it goes the other way because I think he, she was in Chips or whatever. Although he doesn't have that many projects, personally. Really. Um, They've got like Carvana commercials or something. <laughs> they do have Carvana commercials now, <laughs> um, and usually he plays the kind of a, a hyper douchebag version of himself, which is something I'm not too far from the truth of how right, he actually right. is. Yeah, yeah, um, a version of Dak Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a little like it takes you out of the moment. But it, but it was a nice way to go back and finalize the 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 series. And again, it was such an an easy like wrap up of mm-hmm. like, oh, we're gonna solve one more mystery and then we're going to kind of send her and Logan, get her and Logan to act together and piss or pish or whatever. I can't remember what I has or I know it's, it sounds like piss and I don't know, like, but I know that's not how you pronounce it. Her and that boyfriend are, are gone. Oh um, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, right. The college boyfriend. Yeah. So she gets back with Logan and Logan's yeah. not quite as cut as he is in season four. Right. Um, but he's getting there. He Cause he, he just, he's, he's now in the Navy. Right, and right. so this was the thing. Like when he picks her up at the airport, he's in his dress white. Yes, yeah. And those things do dude. not fit. No, Have you, they, did you, they they are big and baggy. And I'm like, it's kind that's, of a David Byrne. Kind I'm like, of look for that's it. not. It really is. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm going. I don't think that's how those are supposed to fit. I, I I've seen Richard Gere in these. <laughs> um, that was weird. But it was like it was nice to to wrap it up. But but I think the one thing that we forgot to mention is. The surprising addition to the writing staff oh, right. and the, produce, right. the production staff of season four, which was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> which is such like I needed to be warned. I needed to like I didn't because it was one of those things when I saw it pop up. I'm like, that can't fucking be right. Mm-hmm. That can't mm-hmm. be Kareem Abdul. It's, like, he's, it's spelling like, it differently. <laughs> but no, I read some like he was I guess he has written like he's a fiction yep. writer. He's got yeah. a writing partner and they've pitched movies. And like, yeah, they, I would say done he's done TV a bunch show. of like production stuff. Yeah. I mean, in the- uh, and then I guess um, they, they had he had a tie to Rob Thomas at somehow and then and then kind of came in and helped them write a couple of episodes. And 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 but I like to in my head now, I like to think that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the person who turned up the sexiness of Veronica Mars. Like, <laughs> yeah, he came totally. in and was like, look, look, what you need to do yeah, is, like, need. she needs to have a lot of fantasies about the other, those hot dudes <laughs> that she was hanging out with, and, like, we're going to need to have her say almost the F word, but not quite. You know? and like, uh, but, yeah, we need her to be kind of on the cusp of... Uh, she needs to be a little more edgy. <laughs> right, right. A little hotter. Um, but yeah, Kareem. That's true. I like yeah. it. So yeah. I like that there's an audience out there that only knows Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a writer for, and it's funny to me because they were like, they were talking to him and it was like all of his, they were doing an interview about how he got into it and like, and why he was doing it. And like everything he talked about was tied back to the Lakers. It's like, oh, I've been on a team before, but usually I'm used to reading the team and like, <laughs> This was exciting as being on primetime Lakers. I'm like, fuck. And, oh, man. Like, he's okay. a really smart dude, too. I, know, I mean, right? he's like yeah. a really, really. Um, 
I, he hasn't won an Oscar, right? I know Kobe. No, no, no I know Kobe <laughs> right, did. Right. Um, yeah, and that's so. why I was, um, I couldn't remember exactly like what all he has produced or if it was, it's mostly a kind of in shorter form and TV stuff, right? Yeah. 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 And that was cool. it. So yeah, now we can we can put a, we can put Veronica Mars to bed, and I'll binge something else that's uh, teen worthy, I guess. It's it's weird, right? Like because <laughs> I do the same thing, and, and maybe this is like too much like, behind the curtain stuff, but I will end up watching like those teen dramas. I'm tempted as well, to go back and, to my so-called life and pick that up. And oh see yeah, if that holds up. I tried not too long ago, probably a couple years ago. There was like a Dawson's Creek marathon. <laughs> Right, it was one of the like Labor Day or something, right. and and man, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch. I'm gonna sit here. I don't have, I don't have anything to do today. Um, at this point, I was I think I was still on my own, and so like just you know <laughs> hanging out by myself. And I'm like, I'm just gonna watch Dawson's Creek. I made it through half the first episode, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe 14 year old me thought this was smart, but oh my god, this is fucking awful. Like the writing was so yeah. bad. That Kevin Williamson stuff yeah. that was just like where he got where they not reined in and yeah it was all yeah. that kind of like it was post it was post scream right post scream so everything was that hyper sort of postmodern kind of thing and I'm just like nope it's pop culture oh, references boy yeah. boy I tried and I just <laughs> could not do it uh, could not do it but yeah my so called life is one I want to go back my so called life is one I genuinely enjoyed. I, I was thinking also of Party of Five. I don't think I could handle that one at this I, point. No. And like, there's that, what's that basketball drama? One Tree Hill. I got that yeah, happened. Uh, that uh, was uh, later on, but yeah, I happened no, to catch I that. I, yeah. I'm, <laughs> no, no. Um, I really liked, <laughs> this was only on one season as well, just like My So Called Life, but the series Relativity. With I don't think I ever watched that. Adam Goldberg and the girl from um, Father of the Bride. Oh yeah, like her. Like, and um, she and married I've, Pete Sampras. Oh, good for her. N- or did she? I think she <laughs> dated Pete Sampras. I think either way, good for her. I think no, yeah. So Bridget Wilson ended up marrying Pete Sampras. Okay, Pete Sampras, but she did Kimberly something. I want to say Williams. It sounds okay. wrong, but maybe it's right. Um, yeah, she was in Indian Summer. Uh, sounds so wrong. Um, yeah, Kimberly Williams. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and wait, I want to find out who the who the lead actor was. David Conrad. Nope. No, I don't know. <laughs> but Jane Adams was in this was oh, in this show. Nice. Lisa Edelstein, who I really like. Yeah. Um, again, Adam Goldberg, um, Richard Schiff. That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, only only a season. It was very much. It was on ABC too. Like after after they canceled <laughs> my so-called life, then they right. put this on. They're like, oh, this ain't gonna work either. But I anyway, I really enjoyed that too, and I've never been able to find it again. Um, okay. Anything Man, else yeah, you want to say no, about like TV the, uh, yeah, and no, about how like excited TV. you are about like. But Moonlighting is is finally streaming, and yeah, I haven't dug, I haven't. Oh, I, dived. Watched, I watched the first episode. Did you? He's Bruce Willis is so funny. Yeah, he's so great. He's so great. All right, let's fucking talk about Hal Hartley. Let's talk Hal Hartley. Uh, okay, here's. I want to say, how many people came from these first few films? I mean, Martin Donovan, Adrian Shelley, Edie Falco. Look, there would be no Nurse Jackie. If not for for Hal Hartley, okay, I'm gonna say say that, right? Did you watch these first films like right away? Because this, I mean, these would be VHS stuff for me. Okay, so like this was a time. Yeah, I was 11 years old and went to the theater to see Unbelievable Truth. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would have been. So Unbelievable Truth, no, I didn't watch it until I got 
like trust was the entry point for me. Okay. Okay. Um, and that was, that was in VHS on when, so like this starts to hit, right? Like he really was at the forefront of that movement of, of that, that of American that. indie sort yeah. of like nineties movement. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like he, when we don't speak about him and in, in, I guess in the same hushed tones as you talk about Spike Lee or Kevin Smith or Linkletter. Or, and this was, and that was like a question that I had like too. It was like, why isn't he bigger? Because I mean, you got Kevin Smith, you got Linklater. I mean, you even have people like who are sort of distinct in their own in their own way, like Bombach and like Wes Anderson and like Georgie Lanthimos too. Right. I think he had integrity, and that ended up hurting him. <laughs> like, uh, there's a story about the unbelievable truth, and Miramax is the one who who uh, distributes that. But Harvey Weinstein went to him and was like, "I want sex in this. I want." Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Adrian to be naked. I want to, you know, I want to, I want this, I want nudity. I want an explicit sex scene. And he was like, here's your check back. Yeah. I'm not doing that. And they still distributed his movie, but they didn't distribute trust. And like, so I think, yeah, fine line did, I, I think this, this idea of him, um, you know, standing up for himself, standing up for his, his work and, and knowing what it was and what it wasn't. Um, that would have completely ruined this movie. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they make a mm-hmm. point of not, I mean, not showing her and they speak about her being nude and being a model. And, and yeah. like, and so to, to actually then take away from that and like, like there's such a nuance that like, and again, Har- like fuck Harvey Weinstein. And, oh, and, well, of and, course. Yeah. I mean, yes. and also like he was like the blockbuster of independent film. Yeah. Like he would just buy shit up, chop it up, tear it up, like, and redistribute it from like yeah. how he, like see, and notorious for doing that for foreign films and then just like repackaging them mm-hmm. um, when no one wanted him to do that, basically. Right. Uh, and it, you know, made him insanely wealthy. So good on him, I guess. Yeah. And then now he's in prison. So fucking. But, um, <laughs> so, but I, but I think that that's the, I think that's really the reason is that Hartley never really had the, um, I think, I think he did do a lot of Cassavetes esque I was just sabotaging gonna... of his own career. So I will say that there was like a little bit of that Cassavetes. I was going to ask if he was like his generation's Cassavetes. I wrote down that he's not, but like uh, he definitely has. I, I think I, 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 he's not to me the filmmaker that Cassavetes <laughs> was. But I do think that like you don't have uh, Ed Burns, you don't have Noah Baumbach, you don't have, definitely don't have Kevin Smith if Hal Hartley leads the way. Uh, creating these kind of talky, quirky, like you look at like something like Unbelievable Truth, and then look at Clerks, yeah. and like yeah. see how like how, and again, I don't want to be the guy who's sitting or shooting on Kevin Smith, but how clumsy and how um, awkward Clerks comes off, but trying to do the same thing, like hardly putting in musical cues, way works mm-hmm. way more, mm-hmm. way it's much much uh, more efficient. And gets to the point than then Smith putting in little tinkly uh, xylophone stuff when he's trying to make a joke. Uh, the the title cards, um, you know, that's the somewhat stilted uh, soap operatic dialogue they uses, like that that Kevin Smith wants to do. Um, just and, and again, I I like Clerks. And not, I'm not gonna sit here and, and badmouth Clerks, but I but but go and watch Unbelievable Truth. If you want to see right. something that like was a few years earlier, really about five years earlier. And kind of led the way for the, and and paved the way for these films to be made and 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 like everyone who came after him um, was able to do so because Hartley showed that it was possible. Yeah. Um, 
So Hartley went to SUNY Purchase uh, for film school. Had initially studied art and painting, um, I think elsewhere. But something interesting about his time at Purchase was that he said that the, the department there, the film department there, was adamant that they not be specialists. That they learn every job that's there on a movie set. And so this you know, led to a lot of collaboration. I think lifelong kind of partnerships with other people, you know, knowing how to, you know, you know, film this or, or, or light this, right? So these guys working with each other back and forth on films, which I thought was really interesting about how he knows how to do all this stuff. Right, right. He also said that before he makes a film, he sits down and watches Full Metal Jacket. Because <laughs> he's like, that's just the perfect, like for him, that is like the perfect movie in it. In it, I think, well, how did he say it? I'm not sure, but- almost like realigns what he's trying to do like in his head right. right before he goes and like starts shooting a film. But I thought that was interesting that that's the film he chooses. He's like, Nope, that's it. That does everything that I want to do. <laughs> um, so I'm going to watch that. Uh, something that I find really interesting is how he is so concerned or cares so much about sort of like the rhythm of a film. And I mean, not just establishing the language of a film or the grammar of the film, but the composition of each frame. Um, how these films are sort of filled with a kind of wonder, right, for this world, or maybe rather the people within the world he's mm-hmm. creating, um, and how they find or maintain this, like, moral center in this world that does not care one bit, right? right. Um, you know, these worlds, <clears throat> the world we live in is one that's full of, like, continuous moral compromise. So how do we deal with that hypocrisy, like, over and over Right. No, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that that something that stands out to me about his characters, especially in the world, that, like you said, in the world that they um, inhabit, is that all of them, all of his main characters are who they say they are. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're not dishonest. They're not they're not manipulative. They're just they're they're And I think it comes from this kind of like Long Island ethos that he kind of like this. East Coast, like lower middle class, like blue collar working kind of class, right. but yeah. Um, but they're they're not out to one up someone. They're not they're not scheming or conniving. They just want to live with their own ideals, and they right. um, and there's like there's just this kind of earnestness. It's it it does harken back to films like you know in, in the Ernest Lubetzky and like these films that are like yeah, in the fifties yeah. and forties these characters that just, you know, were wide eyed, but they're hardened by the world, but they're also, um, they still don't allow that to affect them and, and especially their pursuits. And I think that's what's so much fun about these movies is that, um, these characters, like there's, these movies can come off as simplistic and like, an almost kind of like, like you said, they do have kind of a soap or soap opera, like, um, you know, feel to them like a sound to them. The 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 plots aren't like necessarily no. overly complicated. Yeah. They're 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 working class people who have found <clears throat> themselves in situations that may be on beyond their control type of thing. Um, and it's funny watching these two back to back and kind of like how they exist. I can see why. I mean, I can understand like, I, and I know when he talks about trust, he was talking about like that doesn't really. It really wasn't meant specifically to be written about Long Island or you know, and to be set in like it was kind of kind of an every place type of thing, right? But this set of characters that he has for these first movies, and of course, as we get to Simple Men and you get to Donovan and Bert together, um, it makes sense that these kind of these kind of like you're watching a TV series of yeah, these people that yeah. are just kind of interacting with one another and they're you know kind of weaving in and out of their lives. Yeah, 
So you mentioned Kevin Smith, and then some of the other stuff we just talked about comes to play here. But where Kevin Smith is so heavily invested and cares so much about like pop culture, there is none of that here. Right. This is, so, these are timeless. And so, right, everything is like, so we talked about this world and these characters. It's all self-contained, right? And these characters, they don't care about this other stuff. They care about sort of like what's right here, right? What concerns them? What concerns the people they're concerned about? None of this other stuff. And even the settings or the scenes are so like sparse, mm-hmm. right? They're so blank. There is like nothing there. They're almost like on the verge of being empty. And I think that that, again, like leads to that quality of like, yeah, this is timeless. This is not, this is who we say we are. This is where we say we are. And this is what this is about. Yeah. The only time you really, I mean, obviously in trust, you know, he works on television sets. So that kind of dates, I mean, like in how you were just yeah. to know, right? So, um, so there's some throwaway stuff that, that, but outside of that, there's for the most part, the placement of this yeah. is, it could be right now. I'm sure it's him. It's been a long time. He raped and killed Pearl's older sister, and then shot her father, and uh, they never found the mother. He and the girl shot her parents, then they went on the road, and then he shot her, too. She killed herself because her old man wouldn't let her marry Josh Hutton. Then Josh goes after the old man, shoots him. Then he goes back and kills his own father. If he killed all those people, he'd be in prison for life. Hi. Hello. Uh, so what do you do? I'm a mechanic. I met a man yesterday. An older man? I think so. How are you, Pearl? What do you mean you want to move out? Someone's offered me an apartment in New York City for six months. Did you make love to Josh? No, did you? No. Why not? I just got here. There's something I want to tell you about me. I don't want to hear it. It's important. The unbelievable truth. Bruce Williamson calls it a provocative black comedy full of kinky humor and cheerful surprises. Seems like a nice man. You think so? I mean, after he's killed your sister and your father, things happen. So this was this was filmed in 1989 for $75,000. Ah, right. It's amazing. I mean, Fincher could have made. <laughs> how like, many films? Right, right. How many films could how, how many like, like, on one hundred seventy million dollars? He'd be like, "Oh my god!" Well, you know, it's how, funny. How that, many? It's funny too because he talks about how um, I, I read a few interviews with him, but he was talking about how, like, by the time he makes, and I know we're jumping ahead, yeah. by the time he makes Ned Rifle um, right. with his Kickstarter, like he, like the most money that he had to spend on Henry Fool was renting the cameras and the dollies right. and that stuff like that. But, by the time Ned Rifle comes around, he bought all that stuff for cheaper than he could have for rented it, you know, doing Henry Fool. Right. So, like, the barrier to entry for him is lower. Obviously, he still doesn't. I mean, but, again, at this point, his fans are a dwindling. I wouldn't say dwindling number, but, I mean, like, you start to, to get distracted, right? So, coming back, oh, yeah, what the fuck just happened to Al Hartley? Right, like, right. Um, and it's it's interesting that um, you know the opportunities for him and 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 self distributing his 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 Blu-rays and things like right, that are, right. are uh, you know it's that that that's an avenue for him at this point. 
So doesn't he have something he's working on though? I think I forget so. the name of it. I think I thought I wrote this down or I'm into, but apparently I didn't. We've got um, a few episodes to talk about him. So okay, I'm sure good. We'll get so we'll come it. back around to. Anyway, so anyway, after serving after serving time for murder, Josh Hutton returns to his hometown where he meets Audrey Hugo. No one can remember exactly what Josh did, but but they are all wary of him, especially Audrey's father. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, watching this again, it took me about. 20 to 30 minutes to find my rhythm with the film. Sure. And I was like, Oh fuck. Are we, did we just step into another D double G? And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) but once it, once it finds its groove and, and, and from the get go, Burke uh, and Adrian are so good and they just pop on the fucking screen. Yeah. Um, She's so expressive and her features are so uh, just, I don't know though her eyes and just her like the way her face is sculpted is just like it's, it's just made for the screen. Right. And so is Bert for that. Example. I know. Like, well, he's a. I mean, I'm gonna have this question a lot, but like, <laughs> why didn't he? I mean, I know that he did plenty. I know he's had a great career, but right. some of these guys and like I'll say this again about Donovan when we come up. Like, why weren't these guys even bigger with with Burke's build I mean, and his voice and his look? His how chiseled. Right. Cheekbones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it it seems like he would have been just kind of plucked and and it's I'm trying to think like I was trying to think about people who popped out of the nineties indie scene. And there really aren't that I could think of that many. Um even guys like you know, it like Donovan, like the 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 um the the with Stillman players, none of those guys. Josh Charles didn't really pop. Like, I mean, they all had workaday workman careers, but like, there are no true bona fide stars that kind of come out of that era. Uh, Smith always used his own clan. I mean, like, so maybe you could say like someone like Fishburne, but Fishburne would, you know, preceded that by a good portion. Yeah. Um, like, it, I'm trying to think of someone like no one from Spike's crew really comes out of like, um, you know, really out of nowhere i mean like rosie perez rosie, perez, surprised, but rosie but perez wasn't a huge i mean that was something different yeah, though like that, that yeah. was and so like i think everyone who was in that era were Sam still Jackson. anyway maybe yeah, may, maybe but, but i mean like uh, but i don't know by the time that jungle fever comes around like i don't know i think i think jackson kind of claw, claw, uh, crawled his way and clawed his way to the top yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah from yeah, that perspective yeah, yeah. but yeah all of these like no one in bombach i mean really no one even though uh, Anderson would be much later. By the time Anderson, I mean, like Luke and Owen, but they're big, huge stars. But I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know if I equate them to this whole. Right. This is a different here. kind of. Yeah. And even then, Luke and Owen Wilson aren't headlining movies, um, you know, and they're picked up more for their quirkiness than they are. Um, Acting chops. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> right. Well, no. Yeah. yeah. No. Right. Look, they're comedic actors. They're not, I mean, and they're fine. They, they work really, really well in the Anderson and, you know, in that, in that realm. But, um, but yeah, these guys, this like Bert should have been a, a leading man. I can't even think of any like really like Coen brothers. I mean, like, cause the Coen brothers, you always use established people anyway. Right. So by the time the Coen brothers do raising Arizona, they're picking out Nicholas Cage and Holly Hunter. And those guys have already been doing things. And like Dan Hedaya, I mean, so Francis McDormand, but again, Francis McDormand didn't um, break out. I mean, like really outside of the Coen Brothers thing no, either. So, no. um, so yeah, we'll just put that as the point of the uh, as <laughs> as I belabored it to this. So that's far. okay. Look, podcasts are nothing if not thought exercises. 
But yeah, right. <laughs> I, I in a perfect in a perfect world, there would have been somebody who was able to cash. I mean, like, and again, there's nothing wrong with Burke being on Law and Order SVU as a camp. I mean, you know, and, well, no, and, and, and he, I mean, he was on um, the Dennis Leary Rescue Me, oh, Rescue Me, right? Yeah. And he he did a number of things like that where he's been kind of in stuff and in stuff and in stuff and like never not working. You just you just yeah, he w- he should have been like this kind of. He's also an actual fireman. Is he? Yeah. He's like a certified, like, working fireman. Same in Buscemi could uh, Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, God, the guy's just, like, he looks better with age anyway. He also, like, and it it, (laughs) kind of speaks to the point that this movie, like, really, as Weinstein buries it, doesn't, you know, man, he, all of these fucking films that, that this movie lays the groundwork for, I know it's not just this one, but, like, looking at things like Trees Lounge and like, there's just a whole, and like the Brothers McMullen and like yeah. all these things that kind yeah. of like wear this influence, even if they don't know it on their sleeve. Right. The fact that this kind of gets stuck in like a Laserdisc VHS uh, back corner uh, hushed tones is really, really attractive. And I know that we do this a lot on the podcast about uh, filmmakers that, that didn't get their due, but it's, it's crazy that, um, and I think I may have overstated Wilt still in my in my head or what a riot Wyatt stay man uh in my head from the last podcast because I because but, but he got the criterion um uh works of all of his films though too yeah. so like it's yeah like I know that he kind of fell off the radar too after that kind of last days of disco, disco and right, like, right and it really that was um you know kind of the end of of his output but all of those films got criterion releases. And so there's at least an audience that kind of can go back to those and pick those up. And, um, here, hard like Hartley doesn't stream. He produced this Blu-rays all on his own. Mm-hmm. Like there'd be mm-hmm. a Kickstarter. So, and most of them are sold out at this point. So I, it's, it's not, it's not easy to, to pick up all these films. And, and, um, but yeah, I remember for me going into, to, to Hartley, it was, uh, looking in the independent section of your, you know, local mom and pop, and seeing right. the seeing the those those videos because I mean like they were all heralded I mean it wasn't like um, you know especially when you get to amateur I mean like but so like by that time really people are starting to take sit up and take notice um, would but, have been in different would have been in different world if Tarantino hadn't taken Pulp Fiction to Cannes that year because it's the same year amateur was there yeah probably that was I mean, I think, not I mean like, yeah, yeah that, no that's what I mean like. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a sliding doors moment, maybe, right? right? Yeah, but who knows? yeah, but that's why it's called a sliding doors moment, Jason, <laughs> because we don't know. <laughs> that's why we asked the question: right, What would right. have happened? Right? <laughs> I, I didn't like that movie, so it's not like it's a what, amateur or Pulp Fiction. No, you don't like Pulp doors. Fiction? Why don't you like Pulp Fiction? <laughs> It's, uh, we'll get to it when we get Look, to our Tarantino. Okay, episode. okay, okay. No, I didn't um, like Sliding Doors either. I mean, God, her accent was the fucking worst, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I did, you know, the thing, the thing that I would always take away from Sliding Doors is no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> but this this movie plays out like a a less surreal, in a, in a sense, Heathers, right? There's, 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 sure. There are all these distinct characters acting in a very distinct way. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good way to, way to describe no, it. No, no, I like, But but again, this this does play like a film, like a like a a tongue in cheek Andy Griffith kind of moment. Like all, every, all of these characters are 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 uh, so specific in their actions, 
and the and the plot devices and the and the the way that things get resolved are so daytime TV. Like you, <laughs> it, it's but but again in a, in a Twin Peaks kind of way. Okay, I was going to ask you about this. Right. Do you, so how much Lynch do you see in this? Quite a bit. Do I, you really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that kind of. <clears throat> I don't know that not winking at the camera, but still kind of being knowing of all of this. I think. Yeah. I. I don't know. I th- yeah. I think it. Okay. I think it. It wears it pretty well. I mean, I. So it, it, may, it may be too much to say that the weirdness level is really not there. Okay. Right? It doesn't quite go towards Lynchian levels. Right. But I do like this idea of of taking this kind of simplistic approach and and painting it with an art house brush. Oh. That. that yeah. That, that Hartley does here. Well, and he's really just saying, like, look how weird everyday life is. Right. 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 And, and, right. and, and, and I think that's where he kind of connects with Lynch. But, yeah, I mean, I think Lynch is so much more weird. And I don't think Hartley is interested in being that weird. I don't think he's right? interested in the surreal. Right? Or being like that dark either. Right. So if you think about, you know, like Blue Velvet and some of those other films that are still so, sort of centered in like the everyday world. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's not nearly as dark, but it is interested in the, the just the weirdness of what it is to go through every everyday life. Well, take Matt Malloy's character, right? Which is the, you know, he picks him up, he, he, picks, he, him. he picks him up as a hitchhiker and then he, he sees him in New York as a drunkard, <laughs> you know, a drunk musician that's not begging, but he has a hat out. <laughs> it's that type of like, oh, aren't you that? No, I'm not that guy. I'm a musician. Those types of stories yes. that we have for ourselves are just so like well done. It's yeah. just so funny. Like, it's just, <laughs> you can do a double take. Right? Isn't that guy from like the beginning? And, that, and this like. Or why are you just all in black? Are you a priest? <laughs> right, right. I'm gonna. I think you're a priest. I, know, I, I think, think you're a priest. Right? You don't drink. You, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're a priest. <laughs> oh, last time you drank, you killed somebody. That would drive me to drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but but this whole storyline about a guy, a drifter who comes, who gets released from prison, comes back into the only town that he knows, and everyone right. there has kind of uh, conflated the story about him to be much bigger than he's now a mass murderer. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, he got to a. <clears throat> He got into a drunk driving accident and with his girlfriend, with his girlfriend, she died. And then, um, you know, he thinks that he kills her father because they got into an altercation right. and he fell down the stairs. Yeah. So but he yeah. was wrongly accused of that crime. And but like everybody time. just makes up these stories. Well, I don't know. I heard that he killed like these four people and these four family members. Well, that's not what I heard. I heard this, but it's just this back and forth. Of, well, that's what I heard. So it must be true. <laughs> right, right, and right. they just look at this guy from afar, but everyone's, they, I mean, they don't, they keep their distance, but they don't sort of shun him in any way, right. which is interesting too. I mean, I, it, yeah. It's hard to like break this film down like in, in, in pieces, but there's just so much to love about it. Like every character has something that's fun. I, the, yeah. the, the dad and the, the, the <laughs> um, you know, the back and forth between dad, the dad and Adrian and like, you're going to go to college and you're like, yeah, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do journalism. He's like, no, you're going to do communications. And like, they, 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 these, these, you know, handoffs that they do with one another, these compromises they do with one another to get to what the end goal. And then, you know, when she becomes the model and becomes jaded and she's got the poster of the $1 bill on her, on her, on her, on her <laughs> the, like artsy painting. Right. Yeah. And this is a girl who's been concerned with the end of the world, the entire, you know, for the first part of the movie. And she's worried about the nuclear Holocaust and like her counselor um, says she's apathetic. <laughs> right. Right. And she starts doing these progressive, uh, you know, photo shoots 
Um, and then, of course, that they end up with her being naked. But, but in the time, in the New York Times magazine. So right. she's not doing, but I think that that's like. She's not showing everything, but she's showing enough. Right. She's showing, <laughs> she's showing enough. But it's not like it's in Playboy. I it's think she's not like, selling jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they're going to have a party because she's showing up in like. You know the time, the Sunday Times magazine. It's so great, right. Right? and they buy it at like a little league field, like a like it was like, it's a, like a, a, a little newsstand. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was so bizarre. It's like a but, but but again, like it's this world, this community in this like specific kind of world, right? I mean, and so it makes sense at that point that like yes, like they're all going to meet here and then go back to the house, <laughs> right? And she goes off to New York and is living with some uh, some boyfriend of, or he, not boy or some guy who owns. He's an apartment. the manager, right? So he's essentially is that the guy a, who was the pic, that took the pictures of her. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, he's, I'm, I missed that thread. He's the, he's the guy at the beginning of the film. He's at the diner and he's telling every like pretty girl that he's a professional photographer and that they should camera. do modeling. Yeah. She was like, yeah. This is my camera. I'm be like, oh, okay, hang on, dude. Um, so he's basically like a manager. He's like a talent talent scout talent scout manager photographer and so he gets her the gigs and stuff like that she moves in with him because you know she gotten or i don't know if they told her to leave at home or they got upset or whatever so no that was it was because she was spending so much money on the train they were like she might oh, as well move right to she new might york. as well move to new york so she moves in with this guy but there he wants sex and she won't she won't have sex with him and she's like and he's like everything's a transaction she's like well i don't I'm not choosing to partake in this transaction or, or whatever. And so I just love when he starts going, and this is very American psycho, but like, I love when he starts talking about all the things that he owns and like, <laughs> I own two Warhols and like he, his vase gets broken. And he's like, my vase, my, my vase, my vase. My vase. Yeah. I love, he's like, I'm not rich, but I'm doing pretty well. You see my car out there. It costs this. And then I've got two Warhols. And I mean, he just starts going on. Yeah. It's very much <laughs> without talking about Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> right. Or studio. Um, and obviously there's conflicts, um, you know, and there's a, it's a, a love interest between the ex-prisoner and the, and the it's model. It's like an anti-rom-com. Yeah. I mean, it really is like this darkly funny anti-rom-com. Which if you take then like Weinstein's comment. Yeah. Like, it, like, did you watch the movie? No. This is a, more of a platonic friendship than it is more than it is a sexual relationship. Right. 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 Um, you know, her father is constantly disgusted that she's actually a woman. <laughs> right. Right. So, okay. So I'm glad you said that because there's something in these first two movies to me where it's almost like Hartley exploring what it is to be a man in certain kinds of relationships. Right. And, and I don't mean like, oh, I'm a big old toxic like man and I'm going to take what I want. But it's like, what are my responsibilities? How should I act? And how do I do that? And how do I say certain things? How do I profess certain things? How do I, act, you know, what do I do in these situations? You know, less so than it is like, how do I get the girl? Right. Because her boyfriend does that exact thing and exact, plays that out over yeah, and over again. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't really care about her, but he, he cares about her as a possession. In order, <laughs> and it is so much as, as other people looking at her. And so he's always just push shoving people. Getting into fights whenever anybody looks at her or he's making out with other girls in front of her. And then when... <laughs> When a guy like side like, eyes like, her, he, then he like leaves that girl and goes. I love at the party where he just like picks a fight. Like, what'd you say? I didn't say anything. I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the whole party just breaks out into a fight. And he wakes up the next day. Uh, yeah, but no, he does sort of fulfill that role. Which, but the dad has the same problem, right? The dad, right, the dad right. can't ha stand that she's been says she's been having sex with her boyfriend. 
And then he can't stand that that she doesn't want to go to college. But when she does get into Harvard, he wants to go to community college because he can't afford Harvard. Uh, then he pushes her into modeling, but then he can't stand that yes, when she does actually yes, does yeah. become a model because people are looking at her because how it reflects on him. And mm-hmm. then he ends mm-hmm. up defending mm-hmm. her. Like, it's, yeah, it's this whole. Yeah. Uh, it really is an interesting. And <laughs> it's a contradiction there of the father. Like, well, I need to, you know, sort of do this for my daughter, but I can't do that. And oh, my God, this is driving me crazy. But, you know, I think that it is in a weird way, maybe a, a, a real commentary on how a lot of us are where we're men and we're supposed to sort of be supportive and be this way. But wait, I get kind of jealous. And right. Yes, you can, you know, you can be your own woman and do your own thing, but wait, I want to come too. And like, <laughs> right, right. I mean, don't forget about me. Yeah. But right. don't, don't forget about me. Right. Like I'm still, okay. Right. You still love me. Right. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, so I think that that is really astute on his, on his part. And then we see, you know, Josh played by Burke who, just really wants to keep his head down and fix cars and like right, right. doesn't really want anything he else. He doesn't need right? much. He says it straight, straight up, I, you know, I can't pay you very much. I don't need much. I don't it's need like, much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He just wants to like work, just wants to get back to the world. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that he gets jealous of the photographer boyfriend. I think at that falls. point, right. She, she kind of throws herself at him and he's like, you know, no, or you, know, you don't really like me or you won't like what I forget how he says it, but he kind of like, he doesn't reject her in a, re, in a, in a mean way, but kind of, you know, pushes her away. And so by the time he goes to get her, I think he has sort of finally decided, right? I'm going to make a choice and make a decision. And this will, this, I actually want something now. And like when you finally like decide, that, yeah, this is really what I want and it doesn't work out. It's even more heartbreaking, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And he thinks this thing of himself throughout. And this is kind of why he's keeping himself emotionally under wraps. And then once he's finally let go and Pearl tells him that, you know, you didn't actually kill him. And that's why I fainted when I saw you. And when the unbelievable truth comes out, right, right, then he starts to become a little bit more comfortable in in the, in the, you know, in the moment and the situation that he finds himself in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a tough scene too. I mean, look, as someone who no longer drinks, when he bought the beer i had a you know little cold sweats there right? <laughs> and then when you saw that he had he actually drank one i mean i know this is a different thing and he doesn't sort of like do a full kind of like you know blackout sort of reproduction of what happened but you see him sort of like i guess he kind of has to tear himself down right. to then kind of be built back up into someone who could actually be with Audrey at that point. Right. And be okay with just the two of them having nothing and going forward. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, I love, I just, again, right. I love how he calls attention to, to the oddness of this ordinary life, how he calls attention to like these conventions and tropes and trappings of that, like ordinary middle-class life. And then like all of this, like pseudo philosophizing, right? Right, which I yeah. absolutely love, right? <laughs> yeah. Just like talking nonsense all the time yeah. about like, what's the point of all this about existence, about, about meaning of life. Um, th- so this film features all these things that are going to become like his hallmark, right? The deadpan humor, the offbeat sort of stilted pause filled dialogue. Uh, again, the philosophical questions about life, the stylized acting, right? That real kind of stylized acting and, and camera movements. Also, the use of repetition in these two films is yeah. fucking brilliant, right? When when Edie Falco sits down with him at the diner and she's like, I know what you need. What's that? You need a woman. 
That girl's crazy. I know, but I like her. And this like conversation that's repeated right. like four times. I was like, did something skip here? <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. And it's like, you know, it's there's subtle changes each time. Well, it's and really good. When he's talking to her about the the planetary uh, transmission pieces of it, and the, the dialogue starts overlapping on yeah. itself, where yes. she's kind of like losing, like she's like, Tries to keep up with the dialogue, but she's like, this is boring the shit out of her. So she's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Do you, do you want me to explain to you how an automatic transmission works? <laughs> like his his use of title cards, but doing it so sparingly and, and to the yeah. point. I think it just really, there's just a whimsy to this type of film that really, really works. And then by the time that we end and we end with them looking up and listening to the potential ha- airplanes, you know, and like that, you know, that that non-existent but potential is threat that it's always over our heads. Yeah. I think it's so this God, this movie is so really, really well done. It's, and it's so well put together. It's, it's great. Um, and like I said, you, you can obviously see it was, it was filmed for nothing, but I mean like it, but it really is. It, I don't know. There was that this level of film that came out at this time. That was, there was a, this, this movie's particularly doesn't ever really betray itself with, first time filmmaking right um like you see it in again and i'm no i'm gonna harp on a lot of these but you see it in like smith's clerks where they're some of the jokes just are ham-fisted and like two on the nose you see it with bomb box stuff as well like especially like looking at kicking and screaming uh-huh, uh-huh. and and the um uh the chip character not it's, that's not what his, what his name was but um, you know, the the dumb one of their group. And he's like, there's just certain like scenes with him that don't really work all that well. There's just certain scenes that, that um, and I like that movie. I love that movie. But it, but um, they're just pieces that it, it, it fails itself occasionally throughout. Um, and there's just none of that in this movie. There's just none. It, like it, This is so well put together. And I think this is why people kind of go back to these and we're like, these are indie darlings that we're going to watch yeah. um, and, and, and praise. But uh but yeah, this, this, all of the beats work. Oh yeah. And all of the tricks that he tries to do and it does and it really, really work well. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. Um, and I think you can see influence. Uh, I think you can see his influence in this film too. So European directors kind of like Gadar, um, I see in this, but also someone like Howard Hawks, mm-hmm. the kind of like screwball comedies of that time. Yeah. I mean, I think even of like His Girl Friday, the way that these two play together, the way that Burke and Shelley go back and forth, I think is is just great. I mean, of course, it's not that fast paced Grant Russell thing, right. but it has that same kind of charisma. It has that same kind of charm. Do you think it almost does it too well, too well to, to that where it's a, to its detriment? Because mm-hmm. I think it doesn't really lean quite to that rat-a-tat dialogue, right? right? right. It, it does pare it back a little bit. Um and it doesn't really lean into like the, I don't know. It it it, it walks the line. Yeah. Where if you if you came into this from a Hallmark or Lifetime movie perspective, and weren't really like paying attention, this would play kind of straight, right? This would like you yeah. wouldn't necessarily be able to pick up those trappings of like the the you know the the soap operatic uh, acting style. Um, I don't know. Do you think that works in, against it in some cases? Uh. I think it might, but I think if you came into this film in the middle of it, you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> right? Right. So, sure. But, I mean, because like I you said. I guess my point it, is that it, maybe this is the reason why Hartley's stuff doesn't quite stand out as amongst uh, the others. Right? Sure. Like, 
all the films that kind of really did jump out. And granted, it's hard to like to it's hard to compare it to Tarantino or Spike or even really Linkletter because those were, um, I don't know, there were bigger budgets and like and, and like once you get past their initial offerings, right? Once you get past, she's got to have it. I know it wasn't his first film. Well, actually, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Or Reservoir Dogs or Slacker. Then by the time that they get to their second or third films, that they're so slick, right? They're so right. well produced. But I don't know if the I don't know if Hartley's like I don't know. It's it, I, I if had it have gone a little harder to make its point, mm. um, you know, because we talked about the, whatever the point of the killer was it was <laughs> was not you know wasn't communicated at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily know how well, you would do it. Well, if we watch the film about the killer going through like weird everyday life stuff, I might be more interested. Sure, I mean, to, you know, to be honest, no, right. right? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, look, I well, you saw that with Gross Point Blank, right? I mean, that, that was the <laughs> I think that was played as a straight comedy, but it was that's this that's still the same, right? Right. Yeah. right. I mean, yeah, a killer having this sort of like midlife, not midlife, but like crisis or panic attacks, right? right? Okay, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, played for popcorn, right? So, <laughs> um, I mean, that's more interesting than what we got in The Killer. So, yeah, if Hal Hartley did The Killer, I think that would work, right? <laughs> I don't, I mean, is how, I mean, the slickest Hal Hartley gets is um, Henry Fool. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think maybe he overreaches with a few I, films. Like, I mean, like, sure. He, and again, I have not rewatched No Such Thing yet, but, but that's I'm one. I'm assuming that that, that one was, <laughs> that was still going to feel, feel like an overreach for me. Um, but yes, I, I, and maybe it's unfair to ask this of a first film then too, because well, by the time, like I said, Henry Fool to me is the one that I always go back and just think I, you know, you look at a film, like if you look at, look at filmographies, like that's the movie that I couldn't make. Like the, right, that's, that's, right. that is, that is done by genius level. Yeah. Authors. I, yeah. That's <laughs> that movie yeah. is so goddamn good. Um, I, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe, I'd say, I, maybe it's unfair to ask it of unbelievable truth. But but just kind of trying to examine why Hartley doesn't pop. Um, I think well, I think his I mean, I think his language and his even his visual style is harder to get into than like Tarantino. Right. I mean sure, Tarantino right. I think has a very distinct way he wants people to be and speak in his films, very much like Hartley, but they're completely different. Right, 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 right. Right. And and the same thing with sort of how these films look. I think they both have very specific looks. But again, I think it's a lot easier to sit down and just sort of fall into a Tarantino film. I, I think like the unbelievable truth, trust, right, simple men, amateur, these all ask a different thing of us, a different kind of work from us. And I don't think Hartley is ever gonna like let us get away from that. Maybe that's maybe the sweetness of it. Play, and, and the time frame that it came out played against it because if you look at the uh, if you look at the movies that were in the same range like something like Labutes in the Company of Men sure or uh, Keys to Tulsa who did Keys to Tulsa uh, <laughs> anyway know, anyway but like but also um, yeah like the Mangold stuff that was coming out or mm -hmm. um, who did the Yards was that uh, that was James Gray James Gray yeah. yeah someone I like and you don't. <laughs> We'll get to that filmography. <laughs> uh, and then, or, or even someone, um, oh, uh, Mamet, which is another yeah. kind of stilted dialogue and, and, and distinct way of speaking. And that, whether you can say any one of these pop, but I guess it's, I guess you can still, you can point back to Will Stillman as the uh, wit, God damn it, wit Stillman. <laughs> 
I'm just going to call him WS from here on out because I can't <laughs> fucking <clears throat> roll that off my tongue. That's like a fucking <laughs> Peter Piper pecked a peck of pickled peppers. Where did he do that filmography? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, that, I don't know, that kind of like, I, that, that level of, of, um, you know, I don't say the things that popped, I guess, were meaner, more cynical, sure. hard nosed, um, especially. And again, as by the and Tarantino, what Reservoir Dogs is 92 and then four is pulp. So by the time that, that comes so out, years later. anything that gets like notoriety isn't is a is a Tarantino knockoff of, yeah. you know, a bloody violent um, or it's something like Labute where it's uh, or or Smith, where it's a pop culture heavy. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very, very small yeah. window too, because by the time that, again, then when scream hits really is kind of the death knell of like, you, you, you don't have sale and like, again, maybe, maybe sale, of course sales was making movies before yeah, that it kind was of right before the nineties wave. Um, but like, I don't know. Even yeah, because when was, I mean, when was Lone Star? Lone Star was 93, 92. So it was right around the yeah, same time. 94. Um, I mean, cause sales did brother from another planet and yeah he'd been doing yeah, he'd been doing stuff, stuff for a while around, i mean yeah. that was kind of his apex i mean i mean at least in the public conscious maybe yeah i think yeah. it's because i mean because had... chris cooper and right you know, and that some other guy <laughs> <laughs> in lone star <laughs> uh good movie though but... he's all he's all right yeah yeah <laughs> um so it I, is a good it is a good movie and like and it, it takes a minute for really Bombach and Buck because Bombach really doesn't pop until he collaborates with Anderson. Right. I mean right. like, and I like Bombach's, I really love kicking and screaming his second film, I think got taken away from him. Um, and they like advertised it. It's, it's got a very swingers esque poster. Yeah. Um, and it was like Eric Stoltz and excuse me, Annabeth Suora or how do you say her name? I don't even know. Shiora. Shiora. Yeah. Uh, and then I think there's, no, I forget his third, his third film, Squid in the Whale or something. But, Either way. Um, Wait. Yeah. Because it was Squid in the Whale and then it was Margot at the wedding. Right. right. But he, but that by between, between that, he had, he had collaborated one with Life Aquatic with mm -hmm. Anderson. So mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm looking at uh, Mr. Jealousy was his. Right. And that was the one. That was yeah. the Eric Stoltz one that looks like a swingers poster, too. It's, it's pretty. I, I don't, I've seen it. It's been a really, yeah. really long time. Yeah. Right, was there anything else we wanted to say about the unbelievable truth? I mean, I I don't know. I find it I I don't find it as maybe sweet as you do. Um, I'm probably a little more cynical in a weird way, <laughs> right? A little more jaded. Um, I mean, I, what I guess I don't I don't think it's a melodrama in any way. I think it does have a uh, um, you know not a Fincherian look at the world <laughs> worldview, but yeah, or a Tarantino like worldview, but. But I don't know. I mean, it, it 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 does end in this kind of like what comes next, right? This kind of like right. nice ellipsis where everything isn't perfect. Everything isn't. I wrote down amazing. the unbelievable truth is like that asshole friend that you can't help but love. Yeah, I like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, less, less asshole. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's maybe annoying is the is the slight like cloying and slightly annoying friend yeah, and always with. saying weird things about like you know the <laughs> meaning of life and like hmm, what's the point i guess my point to that is I, I can understand if this wasn't your cup of tea 
mm. um, this type of sure. movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I could too. Oh, 100%, right? I fucking love this film. Um, this stuff is very much my cup of tea, same, same. right? <laughs> I mean, that yeah. kind of like stilted, weird, like, yeah, it's great. And just like the, the deadpan jokes. And the, when she steals his wrench. <laughs> she steals this giant wrench. <laughs> it's just like, and the dad's like, well, you're never going to see him again. And she's like, okay, one more time. And he's like, no, I have to give him back his wrench. And she's like, <laughs> see, and that's she's like, why do you have this? <laughs> and I think that those types of things are what makes these films. It's, and again, like you said, you could pick them up midway through. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, I know you, you didn't actually say that. You said that we were going to look around and what the fuck's going on. But like, yeah. I do think this, this, the multiple viewings are rewarding of these oh, two yeah. films. Um, oh. And it's it's kind of a shame. I, I, I've i gone back to Trust a few times. Um, I have not gone back to The Unbelievable Truth in a really long time, so I'm really glad I saw it again. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. All right, let's 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 um, let's talk about Trust. Family's like a gun. You point it in the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody. Do you miss your kids? Sure. Do you hate your husband? Absolutely. Would you ever get married again? Of course. A family's got to stick together come hell or high water. Carry this with me at all times. Hand grenade? Just in case. Are you emotionally disturbed? Maria, if you come home right now, Mom is going to stab you in the heart with a steak knife, okay? Did you eat anything today? No. Sit down. We'll fix you something. Tell me what you said. You heard what I said. Tell me what you said, coward. Come on. Your husband died of a heart attack. No one dies of a heart attack. They die of disgust. You're not the first woman in the world who's had a hard time. I think it's kind of warm for this time of year, don't you think? Damage to the ozone. What is that? Where the hell you been the last 10 years? Married. I like him the way he is. How is he? It was busted anyway. Dangerous. But sincere. Sincerely dangerous. See this pin? Pull that. Wait eight seconds and. Do you know what the word empirical means? Don't ask him. He thinks TV gives you cancer. You can't know something unless you experience it first. Do you trust me? If you trust me first. This is almost like a double bill, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, these two go together so well. I mean, he filmed he this kinda, in eleven days, right? And yeah, he, like, and he wanted to write with Adrian yeah. again, so this is the reason why he like wrote yeah. this and like, and it was like they didn't have to give much direction because the dialogue gave the direction that he wanted to February to go in, kind of thing. So yeah, it's really, really impressive when you know the constraints of this film and how it was done, especially because Adrian seems like she's taken leaps and bounds as an actress from from un, yeah yeah so, from like, she's so truth. much more like confident. And it's only like a year later. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, I feel like I was going to say something else, but what, what the fuck ever. I don't know. So when high school dropout Maria announces she is pregnant, her father drops out of a heart attack. Her mother throws her out of the house. Her boyfriend dumps her. She is left homeless and alone until she meets Matthew, an educated young man with a knack for fixing electronics and a severely principled worldview. When, when Maria <laughs> accepts his offer of help, they begin a kind of relationship that allows both of them to change. So I want to go back to something I said earlier. Why wasn't Martin Donovan bigger? I love 
him in everything I see him in. Whenever he shows up in a movie or on a TV show, even for a few minutes, I get so excited. I just feel like he everything he does is so intentional and delicious and amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just that 90s thing. Yeah. Like that, like even like you take singles. Like like sure. the biggest star that comes out of the 90s is fucking Ben Stiller. Like <laughs> Right, or, I mean, right, or, right. or to this point, Ethan Hawke, but Ethan Hawke didn't really pop until only as of late, till he becomes just like the silver fox kind of guy. Like yeah. it's not like who else? Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon has a middling career until there's something about Mary, and then has another middling, middling career. career. Yeah, I mean, like he wasn't that good of an actor anyway. Uh, so and then like he was no Kevin Dillon, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean. Kuzak maybe would say anything, but like Kuzak, I, I don't think he's really like a heartthrob headliner. He tries to do like things like must love dogs and serendipity and shit like that. But God. like, but I mean, and that's only once he gets to like the 2000s kind of era rom-com when they're all yeah. shit at that point. Um, who else, who else is in, in, um, in singles? Uh, so one of the Baldwin's in singles. No, no, no. I don't uh, think so. I can't remember uh, now who, they, who uh, the entire cast uh, of singles was. Uh, yeah, Bridget Fonda doesn't. I was like, going to say, yeah, I Bridget mean, Fonda. Uh, so, I mean, like, there aren't really any any really Campbell sort of, Scott. Campbell Scott. That's, that's the was, other. And that's and he's, also in, like, Spanish prison. Right. So he's, in a, he's the Martin. He's the other Martin Donovan. Like, the, those two. That That is the Dolmet Maroney and <laughs> Dylan, Dylan McDermott. Of, but of, I love, I mean, here's I the like thing. Campbell Scott. When, okay. You like Campbell Scott more than I do. Because when he comes on screen, I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. Right. He, 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 I mean, I think he works really well in like mammoth films mm -hmm. because he can deliver that, that dialogue and sure. he can sort of, he can carry that rhythm in a way that maybe others can't, but he always sort of appears as like this sort of stuck up. I'm smarter than you kind of too good for you kind of guy where Donovan, I just want to hang out with him no matter what he's playing. Right. I mean, even in Tenet, I'm like, can I just hang out with that guy for a while? <laughs> just like, right. He was in, have you ever seen the terrible Nancy Drew TV show that's like on the CW or whatever. Um, no, anyway, it's fucking awful. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, surely. But <laughs> but he's in like a few episodes of the first season. And I'm like, what is he doing in this? But oh my God, he's wonderful. I mean, <laughs> and he plays kind of a bad guy. But still, I just, I, yeah. Do you have his rundown? Like what his career looks like? Donovan's? Um, I had it. Hang on. Yeah, let me let me pull it back up. Um. Because it's 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 like not a lot of he does a lot of stuff with Hartley. Right, right. Right? Um he's and he's constantly working. But let's see, and he's I mean, he's done a bunch of stuff. I mean, this is a well, and 120 so, credits on on the most reliable source, IMDB. <laughs> Adrian Shelley was the one who found him. Like, so she encouraged Hartley to well, not found him, found him, but like she encouraged Hartley to to get him onto this film okay. because she'd seen him in a stage production. That I was going to say he did. I mean, he and Burke both were like actor actors, right? right? Like, right. like really trained. Well, I mean, if I was a, if I was a regional theater person, fuck, how would you not love to have someone like Burke or Donovan on your, like in your stable, like that can just do everything that are handsome that, uh, you know, can play rugged also can play a wide, it's that thing that maybe one played against her. It's like, they don't look young enough. To right. play teenage characters. So both of them, even Donovan in this movie, like, still seems older than he I actually know, is. I know, I know, I know. No, he was in, I don't know, I don't, <laughs> he's been in a ton of stuff, but like small roles, right? So he was in 
insomnia. Yeah. But as Hap Eckhart, do you remember who Hap Eckhart? Do you remember anybody except Maura yeah. Tierney in that movie? <laughs> He was in, I mean, yeah, it's a ton of stuff, but he's just got these small roles. He was never like the big guy. I mean, he was in the Ghost Whisperer for like four episodes. (laughs) Um, The Haunting in Connecticut. Uh, He was in the, that's the TV show, The Firm, not the movie. Yeah, I mean, so... He's got over over a hundred credits. Right. He's just, he's just but a he's guy just, who just shows up. Yeah, but he's like way too good to be just a guy who shows were there up. Other, besides so besides good. Hartley stuff, were there other indie? I'm trying to remember because again, I do get Campbell Scott mixed up with him too. Like it's no, um, no. I, I, there's a lot of TV stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, a lot of these titles I have, I don't believe they actually exist. <laughs> um, Bell Bottom Blues. That's not even anything. Look, no, no, it's an Eric Clapton song. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't like Eric Clapton. No, so no one does. No, people that do are just wrong. Right. Also, <laughs> also, what happened to that guy? I mean, he and fucking Van Morrison. God, uh, they got vaccinated Jesus. and then their hands. And he was in Malcolm X as an FBI agent. I mean, that's like yeah, the, so that's the, the role. Stuff, so yeah. it was like all of that. Um, like I said, I don't know. It is odd, especially because like there were so many of these floppy haired guy roles available in the early nineties that he could have just stepped right into. Like he would, he had that aesthetic of these types of movies where he was kind of nebbish and like could wear clothes that were slightly too big for him, yeah. and then, but yeah. still be handsome and like look good smoking a cigarette and, and, and carrying uh, a hand grenade right. like he does in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's weird that, that neither one of these guys were that, that Burke is probably best known for being on law and order SVU. And, or rescue me. Or rescue. I hate Dennis Leary. But uh, okay, sure. Rescue me. Let's go with rescue me. I'm just saying. Let's prop up Dennis Leary somewhere. No, I was not propping up Dennis Leary. I was propping up Mr. Burke. <laughs> uh, did we give a rundown of what this was movie was about? Or this uh, trust was about? Yeah. Okay. When Maria accepts his offer of help, they begin a kind of relationship. Oh, that's right. That father. Both. See, they, that they, was like they, two minutes ago. Yeah, they I run know. together so much. I'm not, not, no, 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 I know. Not, I know. not the plots, but I mean, like these movies really do. <clears throat> and watching them in such quick succession, succession is is makes them feel like they are part yeah. of the same. Well, and there's a lot of the same people that overlap right. here almost too, playing all different of the roles. Same I mean, it's almost like you have the same kind of. It's almost like the same characters at a different point in their lives, right. right? Which which makes this really kind of interesting and compelling to see how he works within a universe, universe right? Yeah, the how hard because well, the boyfriend's the, the boyfriend in both, right? Or no, it, or is no, no, is but he, he is in both. Okay. Um he the boyfriend wants to Now so I'm who's the confused. who's the football player? The football player is also in yes. Unbelievable Truth, but he's the dad's coworker, the, the guy who, yes. the other yes. guy he's the guy it. that plays the guitar in yes. the garage yes, and yes, can't yes. fix anything. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't touch it. I just sent it back. Right. Yeah. A lot of the same people playing very similar roles because then, um, I think Emmett in unbelievable truth is like works at the repair shop mm-hmm. in, um, trust. Right, right, and 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 Martin Donovan just goes around punching him in the gut. 
right? <laughs> um, but but again, I mean, it's a similar kind of like anti rom com. I mean, there is very little. I mean, I think you know on purpose where Donovan is so the character is so anti kind of love or anti attraction when it comes to Maria. I almost called her, called her Audrey from the earlier film. When it comes to her, that it is it, that it's very much like not about love at all. In this, and in fact, I mean, the title sort of alludes to how they both see. This is how they know they love each other, right? Is that right. they trust one another, right? Um, but yet, there's so much violence wrapped up in Donovan. I mean, he looks kind of nerdy, but also, yeah, right, like, yeah. very good looking. He carries around a good hand grenade. Yeah, maybe. but he also just goes like he walks into this bar, <laughs> right? Punches one guy, right? <laughs> another guy like runs away from him, and the bartender's like. Take it easy, Matthew. Take it easy. <laughs> well, he right? walks in and is like, put this, and he's like, that put shit this, off and put this and on. put this cassette on and give me a bottle. <laughs> he's like, hey, it's on the house, right? And he puts on like Mahler's symphony, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, so it's, yeah. But, but again, this similar themes here in that we're looking at, all right, we have Matthew, this man who doesn't know how to really how to sort of express his feelings or sort of profess his love. We have Matthew's father who can't say, you know, how much he cares about his kid and that he doesn't want him to go and that he misses him. And then we have this mother, we have Maria's mother who again is like, I'll I'll never forgive you for killing your father, even though it like wasn't her fault. But then in the same breath says, have you eaten? Sit down. I'll fix you something. Who wants to take care of her still? And so it's like all these people trying to figure out how to do the things they're supposed to do or they want to do, but they have no idea how to even do it. Yeah. It's just, it, well, and, and Martin, his dad, is borderline abusive, if not actually abusive. No, he's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's told. But he did it out of love. <laughs> sure. He made him clean the bathroom over and over and over again over out of love. Who do you think you are leaving your cigarette butts in the, uh, on the sink? <laughs> uh, there are a lot of those when she, when he, invites her over to his house and she like spills the soup and is like burning the toast and like taking the shower and <laughs> you're like freaks out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all of those moments, I, the, the, the interaction between, I'd like trust better than like the unbelievable dudes, but I do mm. believe like we spend so much time with the two characters interacting in this, where in unbelievable truth, there's a separation that, yeah, that exists, apart. right. For the most of the movie, but like the, the gentleness that they both treat each other with, that they don't get from outside is yeah. in, in this kind of like May, September, Romeo and Juliet type of situation um, is so nice. And they're so like, I, I don't know. There's, there's the moment where, you know, the, she's trying to find, there's a whole subplot here about a stolen baby yeah. um, that really is, I mean, again, soap opera esque. It, it doesn't really, it's not really germane to the, to the main plot of our, to our not, main character. No, it's not. It just gives them motivation for moving from place to place. But the moment that they're standing on the train at the bottom of the train station um, steps and they're looking up and she's talking about how, you know, it's that she was reading this book and the, one of the characters was naive and he was like, you mean naive? And like, there's a tenderness and a sweetness to the way that they handle yeah. like, and it's where that could obviously come off as condescending. And, and, but the way that they interact with one another, there's again, there's that trust where they, he, she understands that he's not talking down to her. He's just helping her where he can. And it's right. like, he, as a, as a moment of, of, you know, caring, he gets her at the, th- at the thesaurus, um, right. And, right. And flowers, right. right? So, so it's, right. I don't know there. And like her, like calmness and 
um, I don't know, just the way that she like carries herself. Uh, you know, she's this girl who's pregnant and doesn't know if she's going to get an abortion or not. And she's, and, and, and Donovan is offered to marry her and, and to tell her that so she doesn't have to go through all of that. Um, <laughs> that scene in the abortion clinic where the guy's like, <laughs> yeah, she, go, she goes behind the wall. It's like, you got, you come in here and you got all these problems and then she goes behind the wall and she comes out and everything's got, like it was before. <laughs> <laughs> everything's fine. <laughs> that, okay. That is, so that scene that's one of like the few flourishes that I think Hartley has where we have Donovan in the middle and we get sort of like a pan to the left and there's like a line of women in this diagonal. We turn to the right. There's a line of men in a diagonal. (laughs) Like the one guy just looks and smiles at Donovan. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. He does do a lot more visual jokes in this movie. There's a lot of like with the TV sets and like, so (laughs) that sequence where he's like, I Donovan doesn't, is getting a job he's handy so he can repair things so just like burke is in in the in the first movie which is why again these kind of bleed together yeah, yeah. uh but donovan won't uh work on t- he doesn't want to work on television refuses to work on tv televisions are dumbing down Amer- you know dumbing down opiate of the masses <laughs> right it's like i'll work on radios i'll work on uh, answering machines but i'm not gonna work on tv <laughs> so it's like so and then the guy's like we only need help with tvs <laughs> and he walks out and there's like 30 people holding CRT TVs all the way down the on, on the block. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't he like bump into the one yeah. lady? And he just goes, it was, it was busted it was anyway. Busted. And just like walks on. <laughs> I, I really like the, going back to this kind of, you know, her mispronouncing words or him buying her thesaurus. There's the moment where he comes back to her house. And she's like, Look, you're staying with me. Your father's dangerous, whatever. And he finds her glasses. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, you wear glasses? And she's like, well... I don't wear them. And he's like, well, why not? She goes, well, I look dumb in them and nobody likes librarians. And he's like, I like librarians. But there's this, then I think again, like this is this moment of tenderness that you had described earlier where he's like, it's okay, right? Like, I don't mind that you look this way. Pretty girls do wear glasses, actually. (laughs) This podcast, we can't talk about that. (laughs) We're always going to, yeah. It's it's one of the few instances in a film where, you know, they're like, we'll make you prettier by putting glasses on and not taking them off and being like, oh, all of a sudden you're gorgeous now, right? And it plays so well to that last scene, right? So she's, where she puts her glasses on so she can see and be arrested and drive away. I mean, it's just, I don't know. This this one is like, it's weird to me that I I was reading the reviews about Ebert didn't like this one. And, and but liked unbelievable uh-huh, truth, but, uh-huh, didn't, but uh-huh. didn't care for for uh, trust. And I'm just like, why? Like it, it it's like I get it. It's a little bit more whimsical from a perspective of of like I said, the flourishes are are are. I think this is a filmmaker feeling himself out. And he's got a bigger look. budget too. Right, right. And he's you know filming it on eleven days. So he's I mean so yeah, doing what you want to do in this case and trying to uh, and having as as you know again you've you've already filmed a movie with this crew so the ability to do other things at this yeah. point um it's interesting to me that I'm, and i guess i think it really works in its advantage that it's not burke again um <clears throat> yeah i i think that you know having a switch in the male lead but keeping adrian um really really works adrian's obviously a different character uh and she i think i mean it's 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 a an easy distinction between the two movies. Like I, I, oh, I, yeah. watching this back and forth. I, I mean, what I'm saying is, is that she does a really good job of separating herself from, um, you know, her character in unbelievable truth and in trust. Uh, even from the way that, you know, her hair is done. I don't know. There's just, there's just certain aspects to her physicality that, that, are, well, that and, are and I was going to say, Audrey has 
more confidence than mm-hmm. than Maria has. Any kind of like bravado Maria has is just that, right? It's a false kind of confidence. She really has no idea what she's doing. I mean, she's more adrift than Audrey is, even though Audrey was adrift. But Audrey at least had this kind of like, I don't know, way of thinking about things, way of sort of engaging with information that Maria doesn't, right? She's like, I'll just get married. <laughs> right, right. And then she kind of, I think, slowly grows into something else in this film through, you know, through her meeting of of, of Donovan, Donovan, and, and Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> right. Why, why, why it stay, man? <laughs> the infamous director. Matthew, right, yeah. No, the character Matthew, right? She's able to sort of find ways to build herself into something else that she wants to be, right? He doesn't do it, right? But, but kind of shows her that there's I'm trying not to give the male too much credit here right sure, I mean you know right. because I do, because I because I don't think that that's what's going on in the film I just want to make sure that I say it right I mean you know I think there's so I much I say things good <laughs> I think there's so much more going on in this than also with you know with Peg's character and the, and the fact that uh she's divorced and lost her kids and and but and this this idea of I don't there's a beauty in persevering or continuing sure, on right and sure. this, so like the this group of women that live together have all been like her husband's dead her, her oldest daughter is living with her because she's been basically run out of her house yeah uh the divorce lawyer got all the money and now uh, and she's been painted as an unfit mother uh and her other daughter you know her younger daughter maria is is uh you know was at the beginning of the movie she's just basically like i'm i'm not gonna do this i'm gonna drop out of high school i'm gonna get married um you know my boyfriend is gonna play football on a football scholarship and go to the pros and that's how we're gonna make it you know and then obviously all of that starts to unravel um when her father dies but um yeah there's there's and then you know the acceptance of of martin and his violence and being able to kind of squash that but also like never really asking him to stop carrying a grenade, a hand grenade around right. for suicide purposes. So, in fact, she gets more upset with him when he becomes more "quote unquote" normal or acceptable. Right? right. She's like, "Why are you watching TV? You never watch TV." And he's like, uh. "He's kind of just like giving up." <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah, their paths are kind of you know uh, yeah. altered. Uh, yeah, but then, but then, of course, they come come back together. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like it. Yeah, it's. I mean, if I think Falco is really good. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 surprising to see her in a non-Sopranos, non-Nurse Jackie kind of role, um, especially so young. Um, but but she really really does well in this. Um, yeah, you know this. Yeah, these are just really really solid fun movies, and I think they're like it's. I I do think there's a difficulty to them, but I don't think it's so much where. It's not worth the effort, right? Right. And right. even if you don't like unbelievable truth or trust, I think you'll find something valuable in the other. Yeah. Uh, that is just again, it I, it does. It sounds kind of weird to say that, but I don't. There, we don't make. That's what we do here, right? We don't make movies like this anymore. No, one hundred percent, we don't. So we were talking about like films that wouldn't be made today. You can't. I don't think you could make a film like this today. I don't think that anybody's doing stuff like this and as i'm saying it i'm trying to think of films <laughs> right. that are actually doing this but i i don't and i don't know how much of an appetite there would be for films like this and i think hartley said that to himself like he's kind of like there was a window and that and, and now that that window is closed as far as like these types of, yeah. of these these types of movies but yeah i don't like 
I can't think of the last time I've seen like a really just new, good, genuine, heartfelt, simple indie film without being saccharine and sentimental because right. it's not because it's not or those purposeful, things, right? right? Yeah, I mean, like this because yeah. I, I can't. I don't think we would say either one of these is like got a message to send. Out, no, right? It's like so, like there are independent films that are out there, but like they, they just they, they don't they don't exist like this anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, because I'm trying to think of like the things that like that that the auteurs that we talked about have done recently. I mean, Anderson's off in his own world at this point. Bombach is, uh, you know, it it, it doesn't do this. He's like, doing stuff at Netflix, right? I mean, I mean Gerwig, like even like I don't even like. So let's take something like maybe Ladybird or, uh, right. Well, I mean, but this is or Little Women. But right. this goes back to something we said before, like those. Those independent films that, like, the Hartley would be making or the Cassavetes would be making are being made at A24 Neon, and those have a kind of look to them, right? I don't even mean, like, in Edge, but they have a sort of color palette, a a sort of, okay, okay, this is great, but we need you to do this, right? There's a slickness to it. There's a kind of, you know, knowing sincerity to a lot of these things that, that, that these films don't have. Yeah, when's the last time you saw, like, a new just kind of talky... You know, right? Melodrama. No. <laughs> right. That that yeah. was simplistic, right? That that right, um, right? Because there's nothing like really fancy over the top here, right? I mean, <laughs> they talk a lot, they say things. I find them fascinating, right? More fascinating than Dawson's Creek, but but that's kind of it. I mean, there's right. nothing. Yeah, it's just it's straightforward. It looks. I mean, there's nothing fancy about the way it looks either. There's nothing sort of. Fincher, and even even the heralded ask about like <laughs> right right and even the heralded uh, you know quote unquote indie darlings are st- still putting together 30 20 30 million dollar films I mean, right there's not right like i don't know this feels like it was filmed you know in someone's backyard with you know i'm, you know, I'm not, yeah. not not to downplay it or not to, not to not no, to but it, it feels it, but like, like it was sort of done in the neighborhood but like who does like, who does clerks anymore right, right. like i mean any of those types of like just simplistic slice of life we're going to put you in a spot yeah. kind of of movies that, here's some characters and let's watch them interact right right yeah oh, maybe we'll find one listener tell us who are who we're missing who we're yeah. forgetting um Interesting tidbit about this film. It was filmed on a $600,000 budget, right? I think with joint kind of British and American production companies. Made about four hundred worldwide. It was re-released in 2008 in South Korea. <laughs> really? It made $1,278. <laughs> That's not bad. Anyway. <laughs> anyway what a okay. weird <laughs> I know, anecdote. I know, I know. Like that's... Well, I'm your guy. No, no, yeah. I mean, I'm just like, who... I, that's that's a story I wanted to I know, know about. Like, I know. Who I want to like, know more. Like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to re-release a movie that you know you. Could, I, I wonder if Hartley was involved. I guess like I, you know maybe there was like a a weird kind of like fan club in South Korea, and they were like, you know what, let's do like a special screening, like a a, a, a rep screening of um, <laughs> of, trust. of of, of uh, yeah, not, and like just that one. That's a weird yeah, no, like <laughs> not like the whole like right. all of it. Just just trust. <laughs> all right, but this would be fun. Like this, you know, we talked about, and this is all off mic stuff. But this would be another like oh, um, yeah, yeah, fun yeah, weekend yeah. trilogy yeah. to program. Just yeah. to do a Har- Hal Hartley like retrospective. Island. Yeah, yeah, even just like a Long Island trilogy retrospective. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. they the films play so well together. Yeah. Um, 
and, and it, you know, there, there are distinct cuts. Like, I mean, as far as like, by the time you get to amateur, you're not going to show that one to, with these three necessarily, but no, like, right. Um, right. but like a, yeah, a trilogy of the Long Island trilogy yeah. and the, and the, the Henry fool trilogy, yeah. uh, would be a really fun, like back to back Saturday, be, Sunday. Yeah. That would be really fun. Did you do some recommendations? I did. Oh I my gosh! Did. No, no, I'm, I'm back on it, man. You're I'm back, back on it. I, I, I don't know why I forgot. And you know, I, no, I, it happens. It, it happens. happens. Look, you got things going on. Um, I mean, I don't have anything. I just like sit around and wait for this podcast. <laughs> I most go. All right, all right. What's your? What, all right, my number one. And it, so I, it's hard because these movies are almost identical, right? So I mean, like, uh, we can do killers first. Yeah, uh, let's, let's do, do the, the killer. killer. Yeah. The killer. Uh, mine is Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog: The Way of the Samurai. Okay, I watch something that's much fucking better than that's, this movie. That's a good one. That's what this movie is. Yeah, because I just put Lay Samurai. I'm yeah, like, sure. just go fucking watch Lay Samurai, right? But yeah, right. right. But Which, that's a good they, one too. And it's, I mean, and obviously Jarmusch was influenced by Lay Samurai. Sure. Well, so sure, but again, like he did something different with that. Being influenced by right. something and right. then just doing the same thing are different things. You right? know what? Yeah. You know what I love about Lay Samurai is whatever restoration that they've done still has kept that kind of graininess yes, to it yeah. that kind of that just yes. we can almost just like, like taste the fucking yes. film it's i out. love green <laughs> <laughs> even in like film photography like still photography right i will still shoot on like grainy film i love green you know, especially black and white but yeah it, it's 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 <laughs> that was weird it's so it's so I, what i love about the what i love about lay samurai is the ending is so delicious it's like, well, because one, they shoot in a fucking active nightclub. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, you wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for us. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, you would, because he doesn't <laughs> carry him bullets. It's just, and then, like, and the fucking, like, the band comes back out and picks up the cello and, like, the guy drums, and that's it. It's so yeah. much fun. Like, it's uh, so, like, a, it's like, a, I don't, I would love to, like, read about just that scene, because, you know, the piano player, it just looks him up, it's like, why, you know, I thought we were, you know, and it's like, and he's like, why are you doing this? Because I was paid to. And then boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they look on her. And it's obviously, you know, 60s flair. You're meant to, it's a misdirect, right? But, like, you get that surprised look in her face and then realize that she's not dead and that he's dead. And, like, but, again, they shot into this, like, active nightclub that she's playing in. <laughs> she's, and, like, and, again, they go to the – and it's such a silly – it's kind of a moment of like just kind of silliness. And I know they probably it wasn't meant to be that. It just seems kind of silly. Mm. They're opening up the like, you'd never fucking do that. You'd never show the almost the potential victim of a murder. Well, uh-uh, he had no, he had no bullets. So it looks like we shot a guy. It looks like we just murdered a guy, but we have no way of knowing that. So. I love the, that, that Melville sort of like, Trio of Les Samurai, Les Cirque Rouge, mm-hmm. and uh, Umfleek. I mean, yes, uh, yeah. there's those three are just so another, so much fun. Another trilogy would be great to program. <laughs> I know, right? yeah, yeah. And then okay, <laughs> all right. What did you do for um, the yeah for the? So the, my two for the other ones, and again, these are a little harder edged, and so it's hard to find oh, movies that are kind of like this. Unless yeah. you, um, but I did Jane Campion, Sweetie. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It's kind of a. A, a family that's in kind of crisis and and uh, a kind of a misdirect as well. Okay. So, yeah. 
So was that like for Unbelievable Truth or just for like both uh, of them? Just kind of both of That's them. kind of yeah. how I looked at these two. So the first one I'll give you is Day Trippers. Oh, directed by yes. Craig, Craig Matola. Yeah, yeah. I, that is like the most Long Island movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. But it's so good. Speaking of Campbell Scott, mm-hmm. right? And then early Liv Schreiber, Schreiber and um, Parker Posey. <laughs> Whatever, right? <laughs> We're right. gonna make up names for all of these people we talk about today. So no it's cool shit, later. right? <laughs> I practiced my vocal exercises today. So <laughs> yeah, so no, I, I I really like that film. I don't know, like Matola's career after that just did not do much for me, but I love the yeah. Day Trippers. Yeah. Um, my last one is uh, Benjamin Ross's The Young Poisoner's Handbook. Oh. Um, it's not really like these in a sense, but it does have that kind of like. Have you ever seen it? Uh uh-uh. uh it is a hard watch, and it's one of those ones that I saw. It's very much a night. So it's think the Butcher Boy or Butcher Boy from yeah. uh, Neil Jordan, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but it's kind of it's about it's a, it's based on a true story, and it's about this kid who was um, uh, obsessed with like one. He was obsessed with pornography, but he was also obsessed with like uh, poisoning his family, <laughs> and so he got this thalamide uh, recipe, and he like he would like, and so like his family would start to kind of deteriorate like in the sixth, like, you know, uh, what's her face in the sixth sense where she was kind of like losing, you know, she was throwing up all the time. So it's kind of a hard watch from that sense because like it's, there's a lot of like, but it's played so tongue in cheek and like funny. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I really like it, Okay. but it's not something I recommend all that often because it's like, (laughs) it's kind of disturbing, but I kind of like that weird, like dark humor to it. Yeah. But anyway, he gets arrested and put in, like this like uh mental institution and he gets out and does it again. Um, but yeah, it's uh, and it's, it's basically this kid who's like this kind of lovable kid. Who's a poison, you know, he's a murderer, uh, but he's also like put upon by society and, and um, no one really understands him. I'm going to have to find this and watch yeah. it. That sounds interesting. Graham young is the, uh, I think the, the character's name and uh, oh, that's the, that's yeah. the actor who was in it. And, and uh, he's been in other stuff, but, okay. but Benjamin Ross, only thing else he did uh, of note is he directed that TV movie RKO nine two eighty one. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, and then that's really about it. Mm. Okay, well, my my choice for this is um, maybe a little obvious, but it's Buffalo sixty six. Yeah, I was gonna. I that was on. Okay, a potential was one of your. Yeah, yeah. I wondered. I was. I was wondering if I was gonna hear that. If I come <laughs> for you. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, I think Vincent Gallo. Or modern current day Vincent Gallo notwithstanding, I absolutely loved this movie when I first saw it, you know, and then saw it at the Texas theater with like a full crowd. And I, I think I've said this to you before, but I'm like, I didn't understand why everyone was laughing so hard. I mean, like, I know that it's humorous and darkly funny, but I'm like, it's not laugh out loud funny to me. Right. Like, yeah. It's more of like a, soul crushing funny <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah, yeah so no, so i had yeah. a hard time i'm like oh that was hilarious i'm like dude no what? <laughs> right like, what's what? wrong with you this was just like you know several years ago but yeah have you seen the trailer for the new jeffrey wright movie american Wait. fiction yeah yes i'm not comfortable with everyone laughing in that trailer either no i'm like what no. the fuck are we la-? I'm like this is not i get it but like this is not hilarity Look, I'm so excited to see that film. I am as well, but right. but I don't know if I can see it with a crowd. It's because it's not meant to no. Like, but if you're laughing, you're part of this problem, <laughs> right? Like, you don't get it then, right? Yeah, I, that's what I'm. I, I'm like, it's it's one thing to do <clears throat> like one. Sorry to bother you. So surreal that like it didn't really elicit that type of 
like the, the, and the and the conceit is is so it, it's, it's so it's, sort of like magical realism too right, i mean it's right. really so having david cross and Patton oswald as voices of, of black characters like and so i can see where that automatically comes off as as funny the blackening is intended to do that yes this i was just like i don't know what what why why but i wonder too if like the trailers cut you know trying to make people i mean is i don't know maybe but i mean this 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 like <sighs> i mean this this idea of like white people in the industry not knowing you know the name of a do rat like i know so this idea of people behaving like this should be appalling, not, not funny. funny. Yeah. And so I'm worried about the tone. And like, I am very excited for the movie because I fucking love Jeffrey. Oh Wright. my, yeah. But is he one of the like most underrated actors? I mean, I know that I talk about Leia Sidhu and, and Adele <laughs> Xarpocalypse, but that's <laughs> <was> being underrated. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright. No, I mean, like, he is it, amazing. It's, I think it, that's one of those things that were just his choices. They're yeah. cleaning the windows from the back. So it's, I'm just seeing like a Muppet come across the thing. Um, but like <laughs> when he jumped off in Basquiat, like it's, yeah, and then from yeah, there, yeah. it's just been a, I mean, like the only thing that's held him back is just the, 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 the movies that he had to do for paychecks. Right. Yeah. I mean, like things like doing the invasion and um, you know, he's done a handful of them where he's just a, where he's, you know, a, a guy. Right. But right. yeah, no, absolutely. He's unbelievable. Um, made Claire Forlani look like a good actress at some one point. And maybe she was, I shouldn't badmouth her. Cause I really, 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 really loved her portrayal in, in Basquiat. And she mm -hmm. wasn't terrible mystery mm -hmm. men, but like when you get to antitrust, I'm just like, Ooh, what happened? And then, um, she was in the rock. Yeah. She was in the rock. Oh, right. Um, right. Right. But yeah, like, <laughs> a, like a, a, a girl. And, and then she was in mall rats too. But like talk about a person who like, that's a, I, I just, I, I want to deep dive. Like if I ever had a thesis, of or like a doctorate that I would write a, write something about. I, it would be about this Hollywood window for women, and where if you it, it is like I I know that it's changed maybe a little bit now because you see like Scarlett Johansson actually have, but I mean like but of course she's still young and, and yeah, yeah and she's been yeah. acting forever, but like and I and and I was looking at um uh the the actress in the, in the movies today, which for whatever reason I've. Thought of something else, so I can't think of her name. You mean Adrian Shelley? Adrian Shelley, and, and but but her life was cut short. But yeah, but also, but yeah. she stopped acting though too. So because I mean, she, she had her big break with the movie Waitress. Well, right. I mean, she was going to have a big break. Right, right, right. But yeah, she had stopped acting and gone into directing and writing right. rather than. But but I mean, because she's she is another one. Where, I mean, after after the Hartley stuff, I and mean, what else did she? Right, right. But like Forlani was like it's it's these it's Hollywood has this tendency to try to make you happen it happens to men too like you know oh, brendan sure. sexton the third like who was in uh boys don't cry and oh, empire right. records yeah, yeah, yeah. and like and uh welcome to the dollhouse like that guy had like a very very brief window of um uh you know of of movie yeah. making and then he you know he comes back up and other things but like and then uh norman reedus the guy who was in yeah in, in who, walking dead yeah like he was a guy who didn't, who was supposed to be like the next fucking With like dude. the boondock, boondock well, saints. Well, an eight and millimeter. Like eight millimeter. Yeah. And, right, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then, like, he doesn't do anything. But, like, I can remember reading in Entertainment Weekly, and I may be, like, I may be forming this memory in my mind that doesn't really <laughs> exist, but about, like, these next generation of actors that are going to, and, like, Norman Reedus was on there because of eight millimeter. And I'm just like, well, yeah, no, then he just kind of disappeared until he did, you know, boondocks. Right. But boondocks was kind of under the radar. And then, 
That became uh, like a cult kind of right. thing. Right. And then yeah. Walking Dead. But yeah, I don't know how we got off on Claire Florani, but oh, because we talked about Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright. Wright. Yeah. And yeah, the uncomfortable laughter of, the, of American fiction. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to see that like in a midday, uh, you know, a yeah. matinee because I, I just don't, the way that the crowds are reacting to it is very, very, yeah. it's making me very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And well, I like, mean, and, and I saw the whale with the crowd ugh. and told everybody to fuck off. I'm like, why the hell are y'all crying? You know? So yeah. Well, I just, I, I, I started, picked a fight I with the lady next and, to me and walked out. So that was, <laughs> and, and tar, I saw tar with the crowd and almost got in a fight. With tar, I did too, not see so. that. Tar, I saw alone. Which, All right. Well, I, it, look, anyway. Anyway, we will cover American fiction on this podcast, on this very parish, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> Next time, though, we're going to talk more Hartley, right? We're going to talk uh, Simple, Men. Simple Men. We'll also be talking about uh, the Fort Worth Film Club screening of Smoke Signals, uh, Native American Appreciation Month. Uh, so, and, um, I, I don't know how you feel about that movie, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> I think it'll be fun to talk about. Also, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm hoping that it's a good crowd, uh, for that screening because I, there are some things that I do want to dig a little deeper in other than just the feel goodiness of the movie that yeah. it presents itself as. Yeah. So yeah, me too. And so, maybe, maybe we'll have some snippets of that to plug into an episode in the future. Who knows? Yeah. Things like, are crazy. Look. look those of you that listen know how we do things. <laughs> it's a high wire act here. There's no net. That's right. how we. That's how we like it. All kinds of plates spinning, and uh, and falling. Right. Right. And, and breaking. <laughs> Someone's gotta clean this shit up. <laughs> okay, Jason. Anything else? I think that's it. All right. All right. Um, until next time. Thank you all for listening. And be thankful and keep screaming. If you like today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting whydoesthewilhelmscreen.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time. Ah!